Well, good news for you is my mic is like all set up and I know how to use a external mic right now very well because that's <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> it is everybody's life. I don't, I feel like everybody is becoming I'm a, an expert. My whole setup is like, it's like usually when I podcast from you, it like takes like 15 minutes to get all set and everything. And I'm like, nope, got it. All, all ready to sync the audio on GarageBand. Everything's good. <laughs> um. My friend, uh, Paul Cafasis runs, uh, Rogue Amoeba Software. They do, uh, he's been on the show before. Uh, they do, uh, audio hijack, uh, sound source. They do, you know, a whole bunch of things, oh, but largely audio related. And so obviously there's a lot of interest in their software because people are recording audio from calls and stuff. Anyway, uh, there was a tweet today. I forget who sent it, but, uh, there was a screenshot of Oprah doing some kind of thing with FaceTime and she had, uh, audio hijack hmm. running on her Mac, which was exciting for them. It's Oprah, right? It's Oprah, you know, but it's so funny because she's just like us, right? She's just got a Mac. <laughs> she's running <laughs> FaceTime and she's got her Mac propped up with like three or four books to get the webcam up at a reasonable height. And it's like, she, <laughs> Oprah's, Oprah. she's a billionaire. She's Oprah. And she's just like us. She's using she's books. Just like us. She's using books. What a, what a good good spread for them to do in people magazine this week the stars or is it people or is it us weekly that do it like the stars they're just like us and they they all like are holding their iphones up with random things around their house and they are like using lamps to light themselves and they are i don't know constructing random things in their house to make their tech work Right. It's, you know, and you know what? It's funny. Like the books thing, it seems like, wow, you're Oprah. You should be able to have like a proper laptop stand or something. But books are sort of the best for that because everybody who's smart or has lots of books, books are very stable, right? They're perfectly flat. And because you have, if you just have like one shelf full of books to choose from, if you choose the right number of books, it's, it's actually mm-hmm. very, very adjustable. Like if you decide, uh, this is so close, but I really wish it was like a half an inch higher, you could just find either a, like a half inch thick book or get, you know, swap one book out for one that's slightly thicker to move it up. Books. books. What, a, what a technology, books. You, you cannot do that with a Kindle book. <laughs> no. And actually books do work. I, I've been using some books for my laptop, but... They do not work well for iPhone or iPad if you don't have the right amount of books because mm. I find that like either it just falls and and if you have no case on your iPhone it can, or iPad it can it, it either falls forward or back. Mm. It's a, I did a video about this a couple of weeks ago how to make a homemade stand for your iPad because I was putting my iPad on all these random things and it kept falling backwards and mm. I wanted to go order an iPad stand from Amazon and of course they were back ordered forever. Finally, I got them in this week, but um, no, a wire hanger and a cardboard box, great stands for your iPad. Mm. So you did, you had a column on this? I wouldn't say a column. I did a quick video about this. Yeah, a quick video. Now, this is for an iPad. For Yeah, it works for an iPhone though, too. Oh, I did see that. I did see that. Yo, and you made one out of Lego too, right? Yes, yes. That was, I mean, that was my son, my project, my son, and then it falls every time we did it. We did a, a call this morning. He had a doctor's appointment on FaceTime, and then the Legos just completely fell down. Um, so, yeah, I would actually, this all means to say just buy a nice iPad stand. Well, it's funny, <laughs> though, because iPads, they have better, we, we you know, we'll, right into the show, I mean, but this plays into your um, 
MacBook Air video from last week. So it, it's a it, it's it's a question: What device do you use for doing uh, a call? Because your I, a Mac is most flexible, right? And it's got you know you just stack it on some books. It's not top heavy. Macs once you have it on a pile of books, if you or any laptop, right? Any regular laptop, Mac, PC, whatever. It's not going to fall over because the screen is very lightweight mm -hmm. and the base with the keyboard is very heavy. So you put some books or anything to prop it up and then you can tilt the screen just the way you want it. There you go. But terrible cameras. iPads, great cameras, but they're very top heavy. Kind Correct. Of. And my big thing, because when I was doing that video on the iPad stands, I was recording a lot of like video using the the front facing camera from the iPad, and I, I guess I'd always realized this, but video calling with your iPad vertically is not as good as video calling horizontally. But the camera then gets put on the horizontal side because the the camera is located at the top of the screen if the top of the screen is vertical. You follow I, me? I I do, and I ran into the exact same problem uh, where I was on a a group Zoom uh, happy hour last week with a bunch of friends. Just hey, let's just you know, let's just talk to friends. Um, and I got complaints <laughs> because my video was vertical because mm -hmm. I was using my iPad vertically, and they're like, everybody else is horizontal. You got to go. You, they're driving us nuts, John. You got to go horizontal but then when i went horizontal my, now my camera's off to the left i guess you could flip it around the other way and make it on the right but either way it's not centered right and you're looking because you're used to video calling on a laptop you're looking sm smack in the middle of the laptop i mean as much as and i've always give this advice like i've written this work from home column every day for our newsletter and i'm like feel like every day i'm like look into the camera look into the camera but like it's so hard to look into the camera when you're video chatting you want to look at the screen which makes sense right you're looking at the person but with the iPad, you end up trying to look at the center of the screen, but actually that camera's off to the right, so it just looks super weird to the viewer. Yeah. Or and the it, left. And, and we're all getting used to this, and it's kind of it, – it in that way that we're collectively – all the good people on the planet are all pulling with each other, and we're all forgiving of it, and we're everybody's having business calls and – you know, we're all that guy. Remember that guy on the BBC and his little girl? He was over in Taiwan or something, and his little girl came barging into the room uh, a year yeah, or two it was ago. The best. It was the best, and they became worldwide celebrities because the girl was adorable, and she had this nice little march when she came in. <laughs> but we're all that now, right? Dogs are coming in, and kids are coming in, and all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, like you know, you could be in the middle of a very important meeting with your colleagues remotely. And if the doorbell rings and you think it might be a shipment of toilet paper, everybody agrees. Go, go answer the door. <laughs> you cannot, 100%. you cannot miss the possibility of receiving some TP. Everybody gets it. You know, we're all in this together. But I, I do think that as forgiving as we all can be of makeshift offices and, um, you know, PCs and webcams that people haven't been used to using in a professional context because they just haven't needed them. It, it's weird when you're not making eye contact with the camera because you look like you're like, what, what are you doing? You're reading, you know, some, are you reading like a web browser over on the side? Are you not paying? You could be paying complete attention to the meeting, but if your eyes are off to the side, it makes you look like you're reading your phone or something. Yeah. And I think like, before we were in this period, we kind of took 
video chatting for granted, which is weird for me to say because we do it all the time with my parents and, you know, my son with his grandparents. But like when I was doing a video call with work people, it was always just sort of like, okay, like it's off on the side. I'm not paying attention to it. But now I'm so desperate for human interaction and face-to-face human interaction. And this is the only way I'm communicating with colleagues that like I'm actually paying attention to it. So you're like hypercritical of what you're seeing and you're, you know, you, you want to make the experience better, but there's like, you're saying there's like, you're not really sure what other people are doing. You're got the quality in the middle of this all, like the, the actual webcam quality, the, the, design of these devices. And then of course, like the big one being these services, the internet services, which, you know, are hit or miss on terms of a lot of things. I know you've been um, covering some of the Zoom issues. So it's sort of all of a mess, really. I mean, it's great. Like on one hand, like it's great. It's amazing that we have these tools and we can do it. On the other hand, it's like this whole stuff has been a mess and just like no one's really been paying attention to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I keep thinking about the fact that there's no... Uh, Josh Chapolsky had a, a column a week ago over at the input his new his new thing and I just I just thought it was such a nice sentiment just thank God for the internet I think was actually the headline of the column and you know in a nutshell it it's true as awful as the whole situation is it is so much more bearable and so many of us are and I realize I, again you know with with all it's really – I know that there are million, millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, I guess, of people who have jobs that can't be done remotely and it's a huge economic problem. But for those of us who can, it's it's terrific that we can, but it's entirely enabled over mm-hmm. the internet. And then at a social level, the fact that we're still able to do anything other than you know simple phone calls and we can actually – do things like see faces and share screens and and stuff um and and just keep ourselves from going insane and doing something other than watching tv all day uh which is where we would have been 30 years ago um it, yeah it, it's unbelievable no and uh like uh, that's what i said like it's a mess but it's like we're not going to complain about a lot of this. And that, I, I feel like everything I've been writing has been like somewhat complaining, but also like, well, I wouldn't have noticed this before. You know, that's how I sort of did this angle with the webcam on my, yeah. on the, on the air review. It's like, this is something that we just didn't think about before. Or, yeah. you know, maybe we thought about it, but it wasn't number one on the thing to consider about evaluating a laptop being the webcam. Yeah. You know, we might as well start with it, but, um, you Can know, not start the show. Is this not going to go some? I'm started. We, I, I'm, I've started. Yeah, I'm fully into it. This is the show. This is the show. Um, I think we should now just tell people we did not officially start the show. I just called John and just started talking like this, <laughs> which is what I always assume his show is. Exactly. Hello. You also. You were like, I'm off today. I'm not working today. Technically, when I'm gonna, and in my life, when I say I'm not working, I'm off. Like I'm. I'm. It's pretty much I'm always working. But you were like, why would you want to spend the day with me? I'm like. This is not work for me. Well, that's very kind of you to say, Joanna. Yeah. I do. I, I don't know. I mean, I know that you <laughs> you have, you know, the full full uh, uh, institutional uh, organization of the Wall Street Journal uh, to work within. And so there is more of a structure. I have to say, on an ordinary basis, in normal times, uh, the way I work, the fact that I don't really have colleagues – I can lose track of what day it is. Um, it in the midst of this, it is absolutely nuts how frequently I completely forget what day of the week it is. 
Same. Same. I, you said yesterday you thought yesterday was Friday. Number one, it did It did occur to me, you mentioned this on chat yesterday, that you thought yesterday was Friday. Now, this was like uh, at like 8 or 9 o'clock at night, which does make me think that, therefore, you, you must have thought you blew off our show because <laughs> yep. we said we were going to do it yep. on Friday. I didn't call you out on it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should check in with him about when we should do the show. And I was like, but I thought it was supposed to be today, so I might have missed it. But oh well. I mean, then you didn't remind me. No, I went to, to do the I, show. If if I had missed it, yeah. you didn't remind me to do it. No, I did not check in. Uh, Tuesday, it was like I don't know. I worked till like I mean, I took a break for dinner and and stuff. But then I went back to work, and I think I wasn't really done working on stuff for during Fireball until around midnight. Uh, and I'm I'm a night owl, and and this whole situation has only exacerbated you know the fact that it doesn't really matter what time of day <laughs> I do anything. But I didn't get done until i don't know midnight or so wanted to watch some tv with amy and she's gotten you know she's shifted way from waking up early to sleeping in a bit and staying up later so wasn't stretching it too much i was 100% convinced it was monday it was tuesday at midnight you know so it was 2 days into the week and she was and i forget how it came up she was like no today's tuesday and i was like oh <laughs> really had no idea yeah. i i yeah. honestly i was so convinced of it i actually looked at my phone and was like, ah, she's really right. Yeah, for me, like, I work pretty much all the time, even when this isn't happening. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I've had to really like just come to tell myself and agree with myself. Like, I love to work. I love what I do. And so, either I'm thinking of ideas usually, or I'm writing something, or I'm producing a video, or like I'm always thinking about the next thing I'm working on. I also do some management stuff at the, at the journal with our video team. So I'm usually like juggling a million projects at the same time. But like, I go to the office now, and I've gone to the, I've been going to the office. I, I, there was a point in my life when I started at the journal where I would go like maybe two or three times a week. I wouldn't go. But then um, I took on a, like a management role in the video department a couple of years ago, and I, I had to be there every day. And so I really got into this pa- pattern of I would go, even if I work super late hours, some days there, I you know don't come home till midnight and take a car home or something like that. That delineation, just like going to a place makes a huge difference to me. Even if mentally I'm always working or I'm working, like going to that place gives me that structure. Now I have none of that. And I truly like just feel like my life is like, on hold. Like, I don't know when, where, and when things are happening. It is really, it is bizarre how it screws with your sense of time where, uh, and it and both ways, like, and it's a, it's a meme. Everybody's in it together. Everybody agrees that March, 2020 felt like it mm-hmm. was around, around 300 days long. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I couldn't believe I even looked at my stuff. I was like, wow, I did a lot of work. This month. Like That month started with me reviewing the Galaxy S20. I was like, what? That phone came out this month? Or it was even like, a, a, like I guess it came out at the very end of February. I'm like, what? Like that feel, That truly feels to me like a year ago. I, it feels like, I, I feel like the iPad Pro and MacBook Air announcement was a while ago, you know, and, and even that was in the early days of the shelter-in-place stuff because it was a remote, you know, presentation from Apple and Everything had to be shipped. There was no, you know, we didn't meet with anybody face to face. It's like that feels like forever ago, and it was. I mean, you know, like I think three, that was three weeks ago. Now, yeah, it was like three weeks. <laughs> uh, 
anyway. Well, yeah. but, but very timely. I mean, and obviously you were going to review the MacBook Air. I mean, this is really right in, in every single way. And we can talk about the, we'll talk about the MacBook Air itself. Um, but right aligned with your interests, right aligned with your advocacy on the keyboard issue and everything like that. But your video that accompanied it was specifically on the issue of, hey, uh, the webcam on this thing stinks. <laughs> and it's yeah, sort of really an emblematic problem on laptops in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really, I, I, and also like just, I realized a blind spot in my reviewing. Like I had never, I went back and I searched for webcam on like my other reviews. I like really had never mentioned it. Um, which, you know, I like, it, you know, it would have only been a line, something like, why does this thing stuck or something like that? Or it's still only 720p or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really quite bad. And the re again, the re the reason I noticed that was I was starting to, I've been trying to do a video a week still try to keep, keep up with my video fun. And, um, I just started realizing, I was like, wow, like, why would I ever shoot anything here with this webcam? And, uh, that got me on this path of looking at other laptops. And it was funny. I actually had to run to the office to go get some other laptops to compare to. Cause I was like, I, I can't just do this piece about Apple because it's not just Apple. Like I, right. I started looking at the specs and I was like, it's not just Apple. It's Microsoft is doing this uh, Dell. They're all using sort of low-resolution webcams, at least low-resolution for today. So I ran to my office. I got approval to enter the building. I wore my, glo my gloves, my mask. I basically risked my life to do this review for everybody, okay? That's <laughs> what I'm saying. And um, I got all, the, like, I, you know, my office, I've got a ton of stuff, so I grab all my laptops and I said, you know what? I'm going to grab this old Pro that I had here, this old MacBook Pro that I had here. And that was, to me, like, I was like, yeah, let me just see if it still works, because I have all my old laptops there. My 10-year-old MacBook Pro, when I compared the quality, it was shocking to me that in some conditions, it's actually better than the new Air. I thought that was one of the most fascinating parts of the review, because it totally jibed with my gut feeling of, you know, as much as we gripe about these webcam quality issues right now, doesn't it seem like they... they They've actually gotten worse. And then in the back of my head, I think, ah, that's just one of those things that you think. And if you actually looked at a 10-year-old webcam on a MacBook, you'd be shocked. But the truth is, especially in lower light situations, it, it, was, it wasn't just a little bit better. It was a lot better. Yeah. It was a lot better in the low light test. And I mean, even when I looked at, it didn't really come through that well in the video just because of compression and all of that stuff. But even like just it's very grainy, this 720p camera on the air. Yeah. Um, and even though you're getting better res resolution, when you look at the quality next to each other, it's just, it's very grainy. And in some shots, that MacBook Pro looked like there were parts of my face that looked crisper, like just yeah. like looking around the glasses or my hair. I was just like, that is not pixelated. Um, so yeah. 720p is pretty, that's pretty bad just on specs. That's, it's, that's outdated. Right. But I would say that the bigger problem and it's easy. And I kind of feel like in a lot of reviews, that's just sort of how we've, we collectively in the reviewer industry have sort of been brushing this issue. It's at the end of the reviews. And you, you know, if the review format for your publication has pros and cons, everybody remembers in the cons to stick in uh 720p webcam. Isn't that great? Or it kind of stinks or whatever you want to say. Um, 
And yeah, just on the spec alone, 720p, that's that's really low res. But the bigger issue, I would take a 720p camera if it had better lighting yeah. characteristics. It's and the thing I run into too, so low light anytime after sun is the sun is down, it's really, really bad. And we've been spoiled, right? At this you mentioned this and you compared the footage. We we've got these phones in our pockets with us all the time and you Turn to pick the phone up and point it at your face in the exact same lighting, and it gets Looks a, amazing. It gets a reasonable, you know, and then when you compare it to the webcam, it's amazing. Um, but the other problems that I've seen, as I've done a lot more, even without colleagues, I've done a lot more video chats in the last few weeks. I just had a meeting, you know, before we recorded today with somebody for a product demo. Um, Middle of the day, and it's actually kind of nice lighting. It's a little overcast here in Philly. It's probably the same in New York, but it, it, you know, which makes for good lighting. And my desk in my home office is right next to a window, but the window's on the side, right? I'm not mm-hmm. staring at the window, it's on my side. And with the MacBook Pro webcam, it's either half of my face, the one on the window, is completely blown out, or it gets a good, uh, a good. Uh, what's the word? Not white balance, but uh, uh, just like light. general balance. Uh, uh, yeah, just gets a good balance on the light side of my face by the window, and then the other side of my face looks like I'm, you know, like in a film noir, and you know, it's just completely black. You can only see half my face. It just, it just does not have a so very Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, it just doesn't have a, the the range. It just doesn't have the range to get both half lit, half shadow. Whereas every, you know. Uh, iPad or iPhone or uh, any other modern uh, phone is going to do a pretty good job in that sort of situation. You don't really think about it when you're using your phone as a selfie cam. You don't really think about the fact that the light is on half of your face. You just, you know, just look at it, look pretty good, take a picture. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the big question is like, what happens now? Like, will they, I mean, I think they, I think most laptop manufacturers will probably address this now, given that we've been using them so much and people are really, really, I mean, The Verge had a piece yesterday, which uh, Neil and I had been texting about last week as well, which was kind of pegged to this, which was that the Logitech cameras are sold out everywhere and mm-hmm. they're price gouged everywhere. Like, you know, Neil, I tweeted, he paid like 90 or I don't know, it's like over a hundred dollars for a $90 camera or something like that. Um, I had a family friend text me being like, what are you talking about? These are not sold out. The, I'm going to buy this on on Amazon. I'm like, you're going to buy a 300, you're going to spend $300 for a $72 camera. Right. Um, and so I think like laptop makers are going to look to address this. The question I think, and you raised this in the post, is how much of it has to do with the physics and the mecha- the mechanics of the system and the, the amount of area that they can squeeze these cameras into, plus price. Like how much is that going to, jack up some of the prices on some of this. Yeah, and I think that the physical space issue is is too easy to overlook if you're just being casual about it. But if you really look at how thin like the new MacBook Air lid is and it gets tapered up at the top so it's even thinner and compare that to just how thick your yeah. your iPhone or your iPad is and combine it with the fact that without doing a little mini lesson here on the optical physics of cameras, it, it it is not a coincidence that every 
single phone from every single manufacturer now has a camera bump of some sort. We don't even talk about camera bumps anymore because it's just accepted that the camera housing is going to stick out. Now, the front-facing cameras don't have bumps. Um, But even so, the actual physical depth of the device from the front surface to as far away that the sensor can be is significantly I know that you know compared to standalone camera cameras it's they're all crazy thin but it really does make a difference how thin laptop lids are um so I guess the big my you know I don't think anybody wants the entire lid of their their laptop to no. be as thick as a tablet but could, could we go with a bump mhm that's well, and and I was also thinking and it's a another piece I wrote this week about face ID, it's made me think, you know, well, at least Windows has has had facial recognition for a while on laptops, but Apple's never gone that route. Um, and what could face ID on a laptop bring that they haven't been able to bring with the fingerprint sensor? Yeah. And, you know, and I wonder how much, again, how much of that is cost? It's got to be a somewhat of a factor. And how much of it is that it that that the face ID stuff needs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, z z z depth, you know, mm-hmm. on z access depth to to go deeper. I don't know, but uh, when you were saying that, I thought you meant like like z depth. <laughs> I was putting on a French accent. <laughs> yeah, like z uh, if they want to z you. <laughs> but uh, uh, there's no good solution. Uh, I yeah. will say that it's, you know, and I've been using ever since this trackpad thing came out, I have been doing, I, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it. And all of a sudden without, yeah, I've iPad. already, I've already, yeah, for the iPad, I've already, uh, you know, written my iPad pro review. There wasn't really much to review. It's kind of a minor, really a speed bump update. Um, but with this trackpad support, I'm doing a lot more work in my kitchen just to sort of not be locked in my home office all day, every day during this thing. And rather than lug a MacBook around, I'm just using my iPad in the kitchen and my Mac and my desk in my office. Um, but it, it it emphasizes for me, like when I'm working on my iPad like this, sort of like a laptop, I've got the the iPad sideways and it just feels like the camera should be at the top when the iPad is horizontal. Right. So the, the question would be, would they have to put two cameras in there? Yeah, or would, would they, they just move the camera? If, right. if we start, if we move to a pro situation where we're using it in much more horizontal situations, like you're saying, does it make sense just to move it there? I, yeah, and then does it suddenly run into the issue that all the people who hold it in the vertical orientation now their thumb is going to be holding it all the time when they're holding it up? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, there's there's no like the the upside of especially tablets compared to phones, I feel like we rotate them a lot more. Yes, phones, ever since the iPhone, can rotate sideways. But for the most part, I mean, and now there's this whole Quibi, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. But but people, you know, shoot lots of videos. People just, people are so used to holding their phones vertically that they even shoot their video that way. They, they, you know, it, it, it... most people wouldn't even notice other than when they go to watch a horizontal video. That's the only time, or I guess to play a game for the most part, people don't turn their phone sideways. Tablets, they turn all the time. And 
now that I've got this trackpad support, I'm turning my iPad sideways, turn it the other way, turn it the other way. I'm I'm going back and forth all the time. And so there is no answer to where should the camera go. They've got to make, you know, I don't think they're going to double up it. You know, it would increase the cost to some factor, mm-hmm. and it seems, you know, needlessly du- duplicate to put two entirely different camera systems in there just so that there's always one in the center. But it sticks out the more you use your your iPad in horizontal orientation. Do you use Face ID on your iPad? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I don't use it as much, but. Um... Yeah, I think I've just gotten into the habit of passwords on the iPad. I also have, I have not spent a lot of time with the new Pro. I mean, I have it here. I have it sitting next to the side of my bed. I've been using it at night. But yeah, to, to your point, I've been using it far more with that keyboard dock and in horizontal than I have vertically. But I'm very excited, you know, when I get the the magic, what is it, the magic keyboard? Is that what the... Yeah, unfortunately, they're, they're just calling it the Magic Keyboard, which is the exact yeah. same name as the standalone, just plain Bluetooth keyboard. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very yeah. Apple-like thing to just call it a Magic Keyboard, not the Magic Keyboard magic. cover, not the Magic Keyboard case. It's just called the Magic Keyboard. I'm sort of calling it the Magic Keyboard cover just to keep it clear in my head, but it's not not the official name. Yeah, so I think when I get that i've i mean i just imagine i'm going to be using it i don't know 90 percent of the time horizontally yeah me too uh and it's funny because the new the cases that are out the smart keyboard case the one that doesn't have a trackpad and just has the fabric covered keyboard for the first time they put an apple logo on the back of the cover and the apple logo is oriented such that the apple logo looks correct when it's in mm. the the horizontal laptop configuration. So if you're holding it more like a book and fold the cover around, well, you cover up the Apple logo by covering, you know, by folding it around. So I guess that's one reason to do it. But I kind of feel like they were resistant to put Apple logos on those smart covers in the first place because they didn't want it to look quote unquote wrong half the time. Yeah, I've, I've actually never noticed that. Yeah. Uh, all right, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Eero. Oh my God, everybody needs fast internet now at home. Uh, well, Eero is the Wi-Fi your home deserves. For a limited time, Eero Mesh Wi-Fi starts at just seventy nine bucks. That's new. That's a, the lowest Eero has ever been that you can get started with an Eero kit. Seventy nine bucks. Now, Eero blankets your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi, eliminating poor coverage, dead spots, and buffering. You'll have consistent, strong signal wherever you need it. And it sets up in just minutes. I know if you've never set one up, it sounds like that's too good to be true. It sounds like it's a nightmare to configure some kind of quote-unquote mesh network. It really is that easy. It just plugs right into your modem, your modem, your cable box, whatever you've got where your actual internet comes into your house through a wire. You plug an Eero in there. You manage it from the really, really simple, well-designed Eero app, and it helps you plan where else in your house to put the extra Eros, you know, depending on how big your house is, how big your apartment is, uh, and it really does work great. No more buffering with Netflix or whatever else you're streaming. You can get a really strong Wi-Fi signal from the basement to the top floor, across walls, stuff like that. Really, really great. You're hearing me right now speak to you over an Eero network. I love it. You can get your home Wi-Fi improved as soon as tomorrow. 
Right now, you could just pause this show, go to eroe.com slash the talk show, and enter code the talk show at checkout and get free overnight shipping with your order. That's eroe.com slash the talk show with code the talk show at checkout and get your Eero delivered with free shipping overnight. You've got to use that URL though to get the special offer. So I'll repeat it one last time eroe.com slash the talk show. We're talking Eero to Eero now too. I am on the Eero network. Do you have a window open or something? No, why is that you hear something? Yeah, I hear something, like a little white noise. It's my laptop. Is it really? Does yeah. <laughs> so so we can talk about this. We can talk about why my this MacBook Pro makes that sound. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. I mean, this was part of my – there was a couple lines in the MacBook Air review. Um, but I have just been finding that Chrome is – I mean, we've known this for a long time, but – Chrome and the amount of stuff I do in Chrome, and apparently I have some sort of Chrome extension that runs in the background that uses an insane amount of CPU and memory. And so my laptop just constantly sounds like it's being it's going to take off router space or something. <laughs> I I know. Uh, I mean, I could move the laptop across the room, but I'm plugged in with the mic to the laptop. Uh, nah, just let it go. You know what I could do? I could close Chrome. That would be the What's, biggest sacrifice of my life I could make for you. Yeah. Do you need it while we talk? Um, how else will I check my email during your ad spots? <laughs> check it on your phone. I'm closing Chrome for you. I've done it. This is the right. this is the biggest sacrifice someone could make in life for you, John. And That's I bet you, big. it's going to go away soon. Our uh, our mutual friend Walt Mossberg had a tweet uh, a week or two ago. Something I, I guess I could look it up, but basically he was just saying something to the effect of, "Hey, if you use Chrome, you know, okay, but accept that it's going to use a lot more CPU resources and hog your battery and make your fan come on, and you should think about switching. And if you're on a Mac, you could switch to Safari. You could switch to Firefox if you're looking for something other than Safari. Um, there's a lot of other options. You know, there are other options out there. And, you know, that's it's just a different set of... And, you know, people love Chrome. Chrome has some features that other browsers just don't have. They have that extension ecosystem. And I, I hear it all the time. Whenever I bring it up, I always get responses from people who are like, you know, I'd like to leave Chrome because I understand, I see what it does to the battery or something like that. But they'll say, and the but often involves, but there's like these two extensions that I just can't live without. And they're not available for other browsers. And that's the trade-off, you know? It's like so much of technology is, like what we do is writing about trade-offs. Yep, yep. And I've I've felt the same way, and, and I have to hand it to the Safari team. Anytime I write about why I can't go to Safari, and I'll like give like a couple of reasons why, I don't want to say they do it for me. I'm sure they do it for a lot of people, but they end up solving a lot of those problems. For me, one of the last holdout issues that I was having was the favicons. I like mm. I, it was one of the things about Chrome that was just like I could instantly know what app or what website I was on with the favicons. And they built that into Safari and I was like, okay, I'm gonna switch over to Safari. I finally got it. Like I think it was like maybe two WWCs ago they announced that. Um I think it was I forget the timing on that. I had a little a little It wasn't Catalina. I think are you yeah maybe we talked about I mean I'm sure I no one can take sole credit right. for it, but probably you could. Um, and so 
I was like, I'm going to switch over. And then I switch over and I do so much in Google, Google Docs with, with Gmail, with Drive. It just works better in Chrome. And so I like say, okay, I'm going to just keep Chrome open for those things. But then managing two browsers is like a ridiculous thing where you don't know which one and, you know, you need to set a default because then you're clicking from one app to another and you're in three different browsers or two different browsers. And so I do, I need to just be able to say, you know what, I'm just going to use Safari and I will maybe just use something like Firefox or something like that as an alt to to Chrome for certain things. But um, it's a big move. It's it's like a life-changing move. For anybody who doesn't know the backstory, favicons, favicons, I don't know how you pronounce it, but favicons are the little site icons. So you go to the wallstreetjournal.com, there's a little icon with the Wall Street Journal logo. You go to Daring Fireball, there's a little Daring Fireball logo in the URL bar. And in most browsers... <laughs> Every browser except Safari, when you open tabs, it's the little icon that represents the site, and it's in the tab, and then the more tabs you open in a window, the smaller each tab gets, which means the less text of the name of the tab can show, and the the icons become the only way to really identify which tab is which, and it insanely to me, Safari had no option, not even an option to show these icons until like a year and a half ago. Maybe it was two years ago at this point. I'm trying to look. But I complained about it and I got some feedback from people on the Safari team who were like, you know what? You know, this has been at and you know, we're aware of this. This has been a battle inside. I have, you know, I don't know the inside story of who, but apparently, you know, obviously it wasn't like Apple wasn't aware of the issue. There's, there is some, either a person or a small cater of people within <laughs> Apple who did not want support for these icons in Safari because they thought it would look bad to have all these random icons and colors in breaking up the beauty of Safari's monochrome appearance. And that's partially why, you know how like when you do a pinned tab, I never use, I don't like the pin tab feature, but I know some people love it. But Safari implemented its own standard for pin tabs where they use, literally enforce a monochromatic icon. So so that the icon is just a black and white image. And then I guess they color it in gray. So it's just a shape, not color. And I think that that was a concession to the same people who didn't want the favicons in the regular tabs because they didn't, they thought the color ran, you know, any random site's colors like, oh my God, you're at CNN. Now you've got this red icon. It clashes with the beauty of this, uh, you know, other tabs icon. Which is it's crazy, right? I mean, that's like, fascinating. I never, I never knew this. Side well, of the story. I, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I, I may not be expressing the our argument against favicons well because it doesn't make any sense to me. But basically, that they thought it was ugly, I guess, and but, that they couldn't, and they, and that somebody had the political clout to keep the feature from being added, and. Uh, me publicly writing about it, I think you complain. I mean, we certainly aren't the only two tech right. pundits who were complaining about it, but I really kind of went all in on it. And it was I remember like, this now. Yeah. And, and I guess the thing that I found out and that I was told would be very influential was that I shared the number of people who either listen to my show or read my site who wrote to me and said, in all sincerity, I would switch to Safari except for the no icons and tabs thing. 
Like, so it wasn't even down to extensions or other factors that might keep them on Chrome or Firefox or something. It was literally, I have 20 tabs open at a time. I can't tell what they are without icons, so I can't switch to Safari. And that apparently was a compelling argument that kind of broke the logjam within Apple and was like, look, we're actually, our refusal to put icons in the tabs is actually keeping people from using safari and they're like okay but even as i mean i'm looking at your piece you wrote it in august 2017 right and so i um i think that it happened i forget when it happened boy that that feels like a long time ago (laughs) august 2017 i mean to be fair yesterday feels like three years ago so so i forget when they actually fixed it um it was like about two years ago. It's yeah. I, I, that I, makes sense. It wasn't. It was before Catalina. So um, I, I want to say like the summer of 2018. Yes, because I I remember them announcing it at WBC yeah. and me like yeah. wanting to clap. Yeah. Um, yes, I wanted like storm the stage. And yeah. Go up and, like, and but here's the funny thing is that they did embrace it, but only to a degree. This is still something you have to go turn on. Exactly. It's still off by default, and you and so like when I was setting up this new Mac. Um, I was like, oh, freaking with the favicons again. And I was like, I like go to Google, how to turn it on. And it's like, okay, it's super easy. You just go to preferences and tabs and turn it on. But I'm like, why do I have to do that? Right. It's, it still seems, and again, it's, it's that there still is that contingent within, I, I don't know who the people are, honestly, if, and I realize normal people don't change the defaults, the default preferences for any sort of software are so important because so few people think to mm-hmm. change them. And they shouldn't, right? That's just, you know, that's yep. that's the whole point of personal technology is that the stuff should work. Just work out of the box to the best degree as, as possible. I still think I don't want to complain <laughs> because they did add the feature, <laughs> but I will complain. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it that I still think the default should be that they're on. I mean, it has to be that any reasonable person who uses, you know, more than one tab at a time would like to have the icons in the tabs. It it just seems crazy. I'm totally with you on that. But if I complain and then I'm like, well, if they do this, then I'll switch to Chrome, from Chrome, I'd be lying. Uh, Chrome lets you really get tiny, tiny tabs, too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, user interface uh, debate and study. And if I were teaching like a course on user interface design, I would love to do like a, a whole segment of the class. Just let's just think about how tabs work in a browser and compare the implementations from a couple of popular browsers because it's a very specific feature. If you don't really think about it, you might think, ah, they're all mostly the same. They're these, you know, they're tabs. You can close them. You can move mm-hmm. them around. You can drag them out to windows. But there's some really interesting differences in there. And one of the, I think a really big difference is that Chrome will keep shrinking the tabs to the size of an icon practically before it does something else mm-hmm. to, you know, more or less make the tab bar a scrollable region. Whereas Safari on, you know, I'm talking about the Mac here on desktop, but the iPad version of Safari is a lot like the tabs are a lot like the Mac version. Like obviously on the phone, they're different because they're, they're not really tabs at all on the phone there these browser windows that sort of scroll up and down, you know, they're, that, let's leave the phone aside for now. The minimum width of a tab in Safari 
is, I'm going to say here, maybe about an inch and a half, something, you know, like physically it's, you know, it's definitely more than an inch. Um, whereas Chrome will let you shrink it down to just like a quarter of an inch where it's really just a little thing with the, the icon. Right. Where it's just the favicon. Right. And I so by the way, I looked it up. They, they enabled this in Safari 12 in 2018. Huh. What, so you, it was two years ago. Yeah. Tabs. Safari 12. There we go. Thank you, Safari team. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't mean, we, we are thankful. We don't mean to complain, but we also could keep complaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess we should go back to the, uh, the MacBook Air. Your we review can. of the MacBook Air. I thought it was, it, it, it was, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for your review to see what you'd have to say. I, I suspected you would like the keyboard, but basically, you know, your conclusion was, you know, not to put words in your mouth, but this is the laptop. If you're going to get a Mac laptop, this is the one most people should buy. Yeah. Even though I'm not buying it, hmm. which is, which goes back to this Chrome thing, by the way. Hmm. So, and, and I had a couple of lines in there, but, um, I realized through writing this piece that I'm actually more of a pro user now than I ever was. I've been doing a lot of heavy video work and um, I I have, I use Chrome and that is another thing. And I find that like, I'm just even on this 16 inch pro sometimes tapping out the, <laughs> the CPU and memory with the amount of things I'm doing in Chrome. Um, but between audio video, I mean, sometimes I've got Photoshop open, I've got Premiere open, I've got a bunch of stuff and I just like, it's, it was too much for the air, even though I love that machine. And it was also, you know, again, like kind of the circumstances of reviewing it right now, like I just want this kind of desktop replacement laptop in my life right now. Cause I'm not commuting. I have not even seen my backpack now for, I don't know, I, it, weeks. I miss my backpack. I, I miss so many things about my old life. Um, but so it, it might be a little bit of that. Like, I don't, I, but I, I'm, I am holding out for this 14 inch, you know, the 13 inch replacement model. Um, I think that's going to be the, like the Goldilocks for me, like just, just right. I think so for me too. Uh, uh, I, I still love, I'm using it right now. I still love my 24, 14, 2015, uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro. I really do love it. No, 2014. I always forget. This is like the third time on my podcast where I've forgotten just how old this this MacBook Pro is. It's mid-2014. So it's almost six years old at this point. It's like five and a half years old. Still is a fantastic little machine. I love the size. Um and the air for me is the same way. And it's even just using, even using Safari, I can't even complain about Chrome. But if you are like me mm-hmm. and don't close, <laughs> I don't yeah. really close tabs. I just, if I feel like my window has gotten too crowded with tabs, my way of declaring tab bankruptcy isn't to close everything or clean it up. I just make a new window <laughs> and start p- piling up tabs. So you just tabs. leave the tabs in the background? Yeah, more or less until, you oh, know, boy. maybe like maybe like once every two weeks, then I'll go and, you know, actually, mm-hmm. all right, I got to figure, I got to do something here because my, you know, when Safari makes your fan go on, then, you know, you, you have know too many bad. tabs. Um, but I don't, yeah. I don't really clean it up until then, you know. It's, but also sometimes, do you find that, do you get that alert sometimes where if you're, use Gmail, right? Or, or Google Mail? 
Uh, yeah, but I don't use it through the Gmail interface for the most part. I usually hmm. use it through the mail interface, so I don't really oh, leave Gmail open. And the other trick I have is for privacy reasons and for it just seems to work better. I more or less use Chrome. I don't use Chrome for regular browsing, but I use Chrome for anything Google related other than YouTube. So YouTube, but you know, you can't avoid just using, but I keep, um, but if I actually want to use the Gmail web interface for Gmail, I actually fire up Chrome and and it it automatically reopens all my Gmail accounts into tabs in Chrome and I just go through it there. Right. But that, yeah, that's, that's the nightmare of trying to do that and balance that because then if you're clicking into things from Chrome, from Chrome and in your Gmail, then you're getting kicked back to Chrome. You're not going right. back to Safari. So that's what I've been trying to manage the two browsers for well, for weeks or months or whatever, and it just it's sort of a nightmare. You've got to commit to one. Uh, but um yeah, I mean, I, I'm I I love the air. I think it's a great system. I heard from many readers who were super excited to finally be able to get rid of their old air and 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 who were waiting and waiting and waiting because they had read all about the keyboard situation and said, no way, no way. And so they finally felt really good and I felt really confident in saying, finally you can get this machine. But yeah, for me, um, I'm, I'm actually still stuck with my old Air for my, for my actual computer, uh, though I've been using the 16-inch MacBook Pro loaner on and off because I really wanted to test the keyboard over time. Yeah, same here. That's why I'm still using the 16-inch review unit. Um, I find that the keyboard, I thought this was interesting. And I, 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 I don't know, again, it, it seems like the sort of thing where maybe it's the placebo effect and I'm feeling what I want to feel. But I feel like it's, if anything, it's gotten better over time. Yeah, I said that too. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. don't think it's just my imagination. Uh, it just feels like, unlike the butterfly key, which <laughs> tends to get stuck over time, it feels like the the new scissor switch one, you know, it just sort of breaks it wears in, but it's not like they've got like the keys have gotten wobbly in any way. They're they're yeah. not wobbly. They're it just feels it just feels like a very very nice keyboard to type to type on. Which seems yeah. As like, I said in my review, I said it feels like this is broken in versus broken. Right. Oh man, you're a good writer. That's a good line. That one just came to me, and yeah. I just felt like I had to I had to do a live reading right here right now for it. But um, yeah, that, I I feel the same way. Like the 16 inch just feels. I love writing on it. Like, I, I, for some reason, I'm just like, I can, and, and it's not for some reason, it's, I, I will use my other air for some of my other work stuff because it has all my programs on and, ex, and stuff like expenses or whatever. I just kind of always go back to it. But if I'm writing, I've written the last, like, I don't know, last six months, five months of columns, scripts. I've worked on this long video project, all, all been on the 16 inch air. Mm. I think you know, and it's funny because oh, sorry, sixteen-inch MacBook. Right, Pro, I, I not Air. Well, it's the only sixteen-inch product, so I knew what you were talking mm-hmm. about. It's it seems like so long ago, uh, and I mention this all the time, but I, I can't help but do it when I go to well, when I used to go to a coffee shop, or I'd be going through an airport, or walking like I'm on the I'm on an airplane and I'm traveling somewhere, and I have to go to the restroom and I walk back. I, I just look at what people are using. And I always, you know, I just see like, oh, there's, um, it's Apple, you know, it's one of those things Apple is secretive about for competitive reasons. They don't break down the model numbers and say, you know, 67% of our MacBooks were MacBook Airs and 
33% were MacBook Pros and the MacBook Pros were split this way between the big one and the small one. They don't tell you. They just say, they don't even tell you MacBooks. They just, they don't even break down portables versus desktops anymore. They just say, we sold 4 million Macs last quarter and that's it. Um, but eyeballing it when you, we used to be able to go out and see other people and what they're using, it, I, I just feel like you, Apple did tell us when, when the new MacBook Air came out those three very long weeks ago, they did tell us that it was their most popular Mac. Um, but I feel like even that is underselling by what degree the MacBook Air is the most popular Mac. It, it's I, I just anecdotally, it just feels like that is what people think of when they think of a Mac. If you're going to buy a Mac, people just, they don't even look at anything else. They know they don't want to spend the extra money on a MacBook Pro. They know they want a portable for the most part, you know, and if you don't, if you really do want a desktop, you can get the iMac and it's a great machine. And I'm sure they, you know, it's not like they sell no iMacs, but for the most part, most people want a laptop. And if they want a laptop, they want the air. And it's so easy to eyeball it because of the teardrop shape, right? You mm-hmm. don't, you don't have to yep. like get real close and creep on somebody. It's, it's a very distinctive, uh, profile and you can see it. And it's, it's been for something that's so popular and so essential to so many people's lives. It has been such a very strange transition to go from the old pre-retina MacBook Airs when they were recommendable, like, you know, five, six, seven years oh, yeah. ago. I mean, I spent half my career recommending that. Right. And it's just been a very strange transition. And I don't think that the 2018 MacBook Airs were bad. And especially when they when they did the uh, interim third generation butterfly switch update, which you know, again, to give you credit, I think was largely inspired internally by by the. I I called it last year the column of the year. I still think it's going to go down. It it should probably get credit as the personal technology column of the decade. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's the award. I don't know if they – they probably didn't submit it for any awards at the journal, but this is the award that matters the most to me, John. So thank you. Can you send me a Gruber? It's like a Gruber award a thing. You should do that. Yeah. Send me a Gruber. It's a a 3D 3D printed bust of you. Uh, Would it be a bust Um, of me or would it be just like a sphere with a star on it? Oh, yeah. That could be – it could be your favicon. Sure. Um, Maybe it's the size of a favicon. Oh yeah, it's tiny. You can it's so tiny. you can lose it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the size of. So a it's t- a little tiny pin. Yeah. It can be an earring. <laughs> I could tie pins for men, earrings for women, yeah. or men if you wear a earring. Yeah, like a little like a jelly bean. Yeah, um, you have such dedicated listeners. I bet you people after they listen to this ask for that. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I especially after the uh, post Joanna's, uh, you know, what was the headline? <laughs> What was the? I always forget. It was, I mean, it was missing letters. Yeah. Um, Apple still hasn't fixed your MacBook keyboard or something right. like that. Right. And, you know, the online version, you know, you not to reiterate the whole thing, but you got the development team at the WallStreetJournal.com to write some JavaScript software so that people could adjust the sliders. And by default, all the E's were missing and half the S's or something. And then you could, if you really couldn't even read it, you could adjust it with sliders and get, get the missing yeah. letters back in. 
Um, yeah, it was, wasn't uh, a bad key. It wasn't a bad MacBook Air. And once they went Retina, and yeah, it was a little too expensive. And yeah, the keyboard wasn't great, even with the third generation thing. But it was all right. And you could say, well, if you really need a new MacBook Air, you you can get this one. You you know, you it wasn't like you could you would unrecommend it. But now it just feels like, boy, you can really recommend this to everybody because they've gotten back down to the 999 starting price. And it's a good config. The 999 MacBook Air is a pretty yeah. good laptop for an awful lot of people. There's, you know, And for 256 starting now on storage, it's right. great. It's a great deal. It, it is. It really is. Um, and, you know, I wonder what some of the motivation was for Apple to drop the price back and to drop that storage back. Was it, you know, a little bit of, well, we know this is the thing that sells the most and we want to juice that and we want to get more people to these in the hands of more people. They even did that education deal, right? It's eight ninety nine for right. education. Um, was it also like, eh, we know this last one, we kind of messed up. So maybe we make it, I, this is my just thought is a little bit like if someone's going to buy a new computer because they hate that keyboard, well, maybe is it a little bit easier for them to buy this if we drop this price a little bit? I highly doubt that was any motivation, but I, in my mind, like to think they were thinking that or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, and with the keyboard, it seems anecdotally that once they got to that final generation of the butterfly switch keyboard, they did fix the reliability issues, or at least for the, you know, to the point where it, it really does seem looking at my email from people who read the site and, and, you know, I did, you know, I'm sure you did too, after you emphasized it so many times, you got a lot of readers. So much, so much. It, it really does seem like the final generation of the butterfly switch thing was as good as that fundamental Could design be. was going to get. And they fixed, and, you know, the reliability issues were above and beyond anything else because you, if you, it just seems mind-boggling that you couldn't rely on your keyboard on these devices. They fixed that, but it still it just didn't feel great. It didn't sound good. You and you've written about the sound ever since they first came out, like with the twelve-inch MacBook. That I hate didn't, the sound. It just it, it, it. And they fixed that here too. I mean, yeah. they really did. I in when the sixteen-inch came out, I did a sound comparison. And comparing sounds of keyboards, and I mean, this is so much quieter, and it's so much more satisfying to listen to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it will be it will be interesting, I think, to see where they go from here. Because I've always had this obsession with the air. It was, I was, it, it sort of was uh, the highlight of my career at the Verge, where I would tell people, you know, this is the best. Windows computer, and I sort of became known in a meme way for uh, saying, you know, for, well, for $200 more, you can always get the MacBook Air. And honestly, if you ask me to this date what I think is the best Apple gadget, I will say the MacBook Air, because it, um, I just don't think there was ever a laptop at a time, you know, with especially it was, was it 2000 and probably around 2014-ish timeframe that there was just no better mix of portability and performance and endurance than the MacBook Air. And it's sort of like this thing you hold up and you're like, this is the best computer there is. It's probably not going to get much better. Um, or I, I at least had said that for many years. And so now we're at this point where I keep thinking about like, what's next? I've always thought about like, what what's next for the Air? And I thought it was really interesting 
that they announced the Air and the Pro the same day and the Pro with the keyboard, with the Magic Keyboard. And for me, it kind of, I was going to do my review sort of comparing the two and thinking about like, well, what do you buy? Which one? And it really mostly just came down to, I was like, you know, people still want to buy an Air. They want to buy an Air. If people want to buy an uh, iPad, they're probably looking at the Pro. But I do really put the two side by side and wonder to myself, these two have to converge at some point because it just, there's so many overlapping use cases for them. It's it is a very strange um strategy. I don't think they have to. Like I feel like at the highest level it feels like they have to converge because they're so similar and they even like you said they even you know in a just two products that they announce at the same time and they're both, you know, if you look at the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, it's effectively a 13 inch screen. I mean it's 12.9 inches. It's a tenth of an inch difference diagonally. And they've the big selling point for the iPad announcement was this magic keyboard accessory that turns it. You know, we don't have it in our hands yet, but it's it's the one thing. It's what made writing the iPad review so hard is that the one thing everybody wanted to hear about, and the thing I most wanted to play with, is the thing that's not coming out until quote unquote May. Um, And and that's actually why I didn't write the review or do the comparison right now. And it turns the iPad into a laptop. I mean, they, you know, and they mm-hmm. keep saying they can, you know, that it's a touch first platform and it, it doesn't take away from touch at all, but it's a laptop, right? It is a, and they even mentioned that it is in plain English, the magnetic attachment is secure enough and the way that it's weighted is secure enough that they they emphasized when we talked to them that you can use it on your lap you can sit you know on a on a train when wherever we're allowed to ride on trains again and put it on your lap and you could you know they 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 released commercials and they showed mm-hmm. people you know sitting in a park and just sitting on the you know like a, a sitting on the grass with the or on their bed or something like that with it in laptop configuration on their lap. Um, and so you think, well, how can you have two different platforms that are the same fundamental form factor? But then when you really look at the details, I don't know. I don't see the convergence. I really don't. Uh, I, I, I don't see the Mac platform converging with iPad OS in any way. Yeah, and I think like I've thought about my use cases and I use such specialized apps for certain things where I say, okay, that that I couldn't go to the iPad and if I if I just needed to do lighter work, I could use the air and then maybe I could have a desktop at home or something. I you know, I have odd computing needs, obviously. But for most people using the air and we the people we recommend the air to, what do they do with it? Email, the web. Uh, social media, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and why then? Why not the iPad for those things? I don't know. I, I you know, it's it is a very strange situation to be in, and it and it. it I don't know if I've if I accept it through cognitive dissonance or or what. Like I, I'm willing to accept it because I don't think either one. Either platform should get a whole lot more like the other. Like, I know I've been more critical this year in my writing about 
iPad OS and the multitasking interface um, in particular. Um, and the knee-jerk response to that from people who really love multitasking on the iPad and have, you know, put their their professional life much more or entirely on in some cases. And I believe you. I believe these people who who spend, you know, use their iPad as their main work computer. Um, and the knee-jerk response to my criticism is is to assume that what I'm saying is that I want the iPad OS to get more like Mac OS and do things the Mac OS way at the interface level. And that's, I don't think I ever wrote that. If I did, I didn't mean to, that that was bad writing. And it's not what I mean. But I, I do think that the iPad OS, for me at least, has to be able to do things, doesn't have to do it the way the Mac does it, but I want to be able to get it, I want to be able to do it the same way. It's, you want to get it done. Right. And yeah. I, I, I don't want to get confused about things that I find confusing on iPadOS multitasking. It doesn't have to be done. And I think it would be wrong. I will go so far as to say it would be wrong mm-hmm. to to copy the Mac way of doing things. What I would like is for Apple to come up with a way that's better than yeah. the Mac way of doing it. Like, wouldn't that be so terribly exciting if there was a way, a multitasking interface that that was better than the Mac way of doing things and arranging things. Um, and, and conversely, I certainly don't think I feel even stronger the other way that I don't think that Mac OS should get more like iPad OS in terms of the way. Um, I, I, I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense to me that, that, that you would want to, to get rid of windows overlapping windows no. that you can yeah. resize to any degree on the Mac. Um, so I just don't see how they converge further. And I know that some people are going to want to immediately say, well, what about Catalyst? Catalyst, the whole point is convergence where you can take your iPad apps and use the Catalyst frameworks in the latest version of Mac OS. And now you can have one app that is adjusted. You know, the developers can do work. And now you've got this app that is the iPad app. And now it's a Mac app at the same time, but that's still, it's not really convergence and the the catalyst apps that do it the best are the most different between the iPad and the Mac versions and the developers have to do the most work and if it's working out well ideally it's still a lot less work and a lot more familiar to the developer than doing a wholly separate Mac app and iPad app but it still is not just click a checkbox in Xcode and out comes a Mac app and it looks and works in the way Mac users expect a Mac app to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe converge is the wrong word. Maybe replace. Right, right. And that more and more people, if they're looking to spend somewhere between 1000 and $1,200 on an Apple device, that mm-hmm. you can use as a laptop. <laughs> then know? they buy a, then they buy an iPad Pro, right? And get the you know the magic keyboard for when yeah. they do it. And it is you know if you're going to have just one eleven hundred dollars, to say eleven hundred dollars or tw- I guess no, I guess yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, somewhere in that if range. If you get the Pro, the the 12.9 with the magic keyboard i think you're at 14 yeah and if you get the 11 it's smaller but that's gonna drop that will drop over time 
Yeah, hopefully. You know, I would think so. Certainly the, the, the iPad portion should right. drop over time, but, right. um, it's certainly more fl- a more flexible device because you can do things with it. You know, the, the, the two in one form factor where you can use it as a laptop when you're doing laptopy things and you want to have a trackpad for things that are great with a trackpad. Um, it, and then that you can just, you don't have to really disconnect cables or anything. You just unmagnet magnetically snap it from the thing and now you've got like an ebook reader and you can just sit there on your couch and lean back and you don't have to worry about the keyboard and just sit there and flip through you know a book or web pages or whatever you do you know yeah the thing most people have done with an ipad for most of the time yeah it's like the ultimate flexibility and i think that's maybe that'll also be you know the driving force of people just say you know i don't need all that i just need a plain old laptop, and then they'll still get the air. And maybe they just keep them around forever and ever until, at least until we are out of house arrest. Uh, Let me take a break on that note and tell you about feels, F-E-A-L-S. Do you experience stress? Well, everybody is experiencing stress at this moment. Do you have anxiety or chronic pain or trouble sleeping at least once a week? Well, you're not alone. Many people do. Feels, F-E-A-L-S, is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and it's easy to take. It just comes in a little droplet thing. You put a few drops of feels under your tongue, and you can feel the difference within minutes. They have real human support. If you're new to CBD, you have questions, they offer a free CBD hotline. You can call them up. Or text message support to help guide your personal experience. Ask them questions. They'll answer. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, no hangover, no addiction, and it's a membership. You join the Feels community, you get Feels delivered to your door every month. Everything, really, you need it delivered these days. Uh, You'll save money on every order by becoming a member, and you can pause or cancel at any time, no questions asked. So here's what you do. Go to feels.com, F-E-A-L-S, dot com slash talk show and you by using that url fields.com slash talk show you'll get 50 percent off your first order with free shipping you get 50 percent off and you get free shipping at fields.com slash talk show when you become a member uh, my thanks to fields for sponsoring the show um you're gonna need your audio editor to edit out my stomach rumbling <laughs> <laughs> I legit believe that it's probably being picked up on. on. Are you? <laughs> My eating like schedule so out of sorts. I, I I made matzo pizza with my son at like eleven o'clock, and now I'm starving. I have I I tend to be a as as a in addition to my regular night owl sleeping schedule. I tend to eat most of my calories later in the day, but at same. But this whole thing has thrown me off, and I will go. I'll realize. I'm like, wait, have I eaten in like 16 hours? Maybe that's why I'm hungry. <laughs> right. I mean, that's. I probably like. I didn't eat breakfast. I had something to eat at 11, and now I'm like, okay, it's time for lunch, or dinner, or dinner, whatever. <laughs> we just eat at any time. It's, there's 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 no time. There's no time. Uh, and we're certainly not running out of food. Is the other thing. Which is a great thing, but um, we just have these constant 
like Instacart or Fresh Direct deliveries that were just trying not to lose spots. So yeah, yeah, same here. I have you seen this thing? Uh, this is again. I think most people have elevated their hum- humaneness. You know, people are there's there, people have written about it that that people are saying hello to each other more when you're out, or you know, you just you smile. You're, you're it's like there's just this collective sense that we're all in it together and. People are being nice to each other to the best that we can while maintaining our social distancing. And uh, and then when you find out that there are people who are taking advantage of the situation, you're like, what the hell is wrong with you? I just read this story last night about um, people who are, who are offering big Instacart tips. Oh, yeah, I saw this. And then – after the stuff gets dropped off at their door, you can apparently. I, I, Amy handles the Instacart stuff, but apparently, you can like revoke the tip afterwards, and then they just Ridiculous. take take the whole thing away. It's like you you are a garbage person. That yeah, I mean, you might as well. That that that's like walking. You're you're just stealing money from somebody. That's like like if you are well. Remember? Yeah. Do you remember restaurants? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it's like if you like pay your check and you're like get up from the table and you're walking out and you see that there's another some other table had left, you know, a cash tip and you just pick it off the table as you walk off the uh, as you leave the restaurant. Yeah, that's Yeah, that- no, unless your Instacart delivery person punched you in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> came to the door, you know, took out a the, your bottle of seltzer and smacked you in the face with it. That's the only reason to revoke your your tip right now. It is, you know, and and I mentioned before, like, thank God for the internet. And how would we be doing this thirty years ago, or twenty five years ago, or even you know, with the internet, but before some of these services, like Instacart is, you know, and these delivery services are helping us collectively maintain social distancing. Like I, I really do. I, I, I want these people to be paid appropriately. I want them to be tipped well. And I know that there've been, you know, some walkouts and stuff and, and the labor issues are serious. And I, I really hope they get worked out so that the people who are willing to do this work are getting compensated appropriately. But I think like collectively, it is good for us that if one person can do the shopping for 10, 15, 20 other people in the course of a day, that's better because there are fewer people out circulating and maintaining the distance. Uh, I don't know what we would do. I mean, I guess we yeah. would all be going to the grocery store like we on a usual schedule, and it just seems so contrary to, um, you know, to what we're supposed to be doing uh, collectively to 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 help flatten the curve. Yeah, we would all be going, and we would. I would. They already have you certain times for certain types of people for for people above a certain age or if you're pregnant i mean i would assume some of those restrictions would be even worse yeah because this has allowed i mean at least in in major metropolitan areas like we live it's really allowed people to decrease the amount of traffic or it's been it's allowed these stores to decrease the amount of traffic yeah uh we haven't been i haven't i think uh, is it a week or two? I've actually, I'm actually forgetting if it was, it's if it's a full week at this point or two weeks. I think it's a full week where nobody here. We we haven't done any shopping outside the house. Yeah, for me it's that long too. I um I do go to my local coffee shop still because they have takeout and it's just sort of a a window and it's easy to do. Mm. Um, and I feel like I'm supporting them, mm. but I haven't been to. I mean, I went to Target about a week and a half ago. It was my wife's birthday, and I wanted to get her some stuff, but. 
other than that, no. Uh, let me see here. I can look on my Apple Pay, my Apple Wallet, and I can see when I actually charged something. Three twenty-seven. So March twenty-seventh, I went to Trader Joe's. So how many? How long ago was was March twenty-seventh? That feels like a year ago. That was um, two weeks. At least uh, 13, 14 days ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's been like two weeks since since I did shopping outside the house. Um, yeah, I got a uh, pizza delivered the other day, and it felt like I was eating like uh, uh, like a Roman emperor. It just. <laughs> It just felt like, oh my God, this, and it's like the easiest thing in the world. Like whoever really worries about getting a pizza delivered, but it just felt like, well, here's something I wouldn't really be able to make at home. Uh, no, no, you can make pizza at home. We do make pizza at home sometimes, but it's, you know, like a good crust that you get. Um, I'm not a, a expert. I have friends who are expert pizza makers at home and they're like Instagramming their pizzas. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had gotten on team, learn how to make good pizza at home. <laughs> I'm keeping Passover right now, so we're making matzo pizza. Mm. If we would like to, if you'd like my recipe for that delicious meal, I'm happy to pass it on to you. I, it's basically a cracker with tomato sauce and melted cheese. I I am not Jewish, um, but I love matzo bread. Loved it. I had a, one of my my best friend in grade school was Jewish, and um, <laughs> I I don't I won't use his name because it would be ratting him out. He was not a fan, and so I would trade him packed lunch. Mm -hmm. I used to pack a lunch and I would trade him uh, like my regular bread for some of his matzo bread uh, during Passover. I love it. I, I just feel like <laughs> I do. I know. <laughs> Says every non-Jew and every Jew is like, no. Yeah, I know. I know. No, like, I know we like it like the first two days. Like we're right. still in like the early section here and yeah. I usually keep it. I, I, I really try to keep this tradition and try to keep the whole eight days with no bread and yeah. um or really, you know, anything that has, um, well, yeah, I, mean, I, I won't say I keep it all, but no. um, I do a pretty good job. Like, I won't eat chips and I won't eat, um, like, wraps and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's a lot easier to say as a non-Jew when you're just sneaking, you know, taking it here and there as opposed to maintaining it over the whole whole length of Passover. But, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. No, it sounds like we're doing really, we're... We're pretty good citizens keeping our social distancing. Yeah. Uh, it is weird. Uh, and, you know, and I know I, I've gotten feedback from people and, and people want to hear more podcasts. Uh, some people I've gotten and I uh, I don't know how not to talk about it. Like there have been a few people and it, it's one of those things where you can't please everybody. And I know, I mean, with the readership of your column at the Wall Street Journal, you certainly know it even better than I do. And I know that there's at least some people who would like for me to do the podcast without even mentioning it because they kind of want to get their mind off it. But I don't know how to do that. Like it's, it's, you know, it, I, I can't not mention it. And so I apologize if that's what you would prefer, but I just can't help but talk about the way that like technology intersects with this great quarantine. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I everything I've written for the last month or so or more has had to do with it because I was also um, just been doing a lot on work from home, and that stuff has really been so useful to our readers, people who are just honestly not set up with the right tech tools to work from home. And I've been doing constant tips for our newsletters, and I do a daily tip for our newsletters and our podcasts, and people have been loving it. But also, I'm like at one point, I'm like, what? 
like how much is too much here? And I've been struggling with that. And I've struggled with that with the air review, which was how do I, I can't review this in a vacuum. I can't just ignore how I used the system and under what conditions. And that's, you know, that's how I came to that webcam part of that review. And, you know, people said, oh, like, she just has to whine about more things. And I was like, well, no, I'm whining about the thing that I have been using the most now. And I really tried to to balance that, at least the written review about about both of them. The video, I obviously focused on the webcam. Um, And I did a piece yesterday because over the weekend, I woke up on Saturday morning and this was, you know, last Friday was Trump uh, and CDC's recommendation that we all wear masks or we start to wear masks. And I woke up on Saturday morning from two emails from reporters, couple emails from readers being like, my face ID doesn't work with a mask. Mm. And I sort of said, okay, well, just do this. Enter a, a, an alternate a, alternate appearance. And I, they were like, that doesn't work. And I started playing around with it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to write a little bit about this. And I, it, is it a first world problem? Absolutely. We all can put in our passwords. But I, it was an interesting story to go down the road of looking at how ma- how our faces are being read from uh, ma- or how our faces are not being able to be read with a mask on and how some people have gotten it. And I found this woman who has been creating face ID masks, which are completely nuts. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this story because it's interesting. We use this, I'm using it as a point to talk a little bit about face ID. And yeah, I struggled. I, I definitely struggle right now with like, what what should I cover? How can I be of most help to people? Um, I've also just been writing and doing stuff all the time so i don't really have time to think about it so i I, that's better i so the face id versus masks thing is something i mean to write about i do want to write about i'm getting email about and the only reason i haven't written about it is that i'm still thinking it through um but that how does a face id capable mask work what is what is the what what's the trick what 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 how does i don't even understand how that would work so I've done, this has been my last week of like, not week, I just kind of crammed out a lot of the reporting over the weekend because I became so interested in it. But basically, no, you cannot register your face as an alternate appearance in Face ID with a mask. It just says obstructed, right? It says like right. face obstructed, can't register. Long story, as you read in the piece, uh, some researchers in, uh, they're in Hong Kong, I believe, or maybe they're mainland China, they figured out if you fold the mask in half, you can register your face. And then you put the mask on and it and it could work. That did not work for me. Mm. Uh, it works like with very success, honestly. Then I found this woman who decided she, she had heard about this issue a couple months ago and she said, oh, I'm going to just print my face on a mask and then it'll work. Then she realized, no, that won't work because Face ID is and, and the whole True Depth system right. is looking for a 3D. I mean, really, it's looking for your face. It's well, looking for it, it's it's the same technology that's there to defeat me holding up a photo of Joanna Stern in front of my iPhone Face ID exactly. to log in to as as you. You know, and that's exactly what I wrote in the piece, right. which is like there's a lot of irony here, which is that Face ID was actually engineered. You know, I did that piece back when when the 10 came out, when I tried to get my face recreated in masks (laughs) and it didn't work. It's like the opposite here. Um, And so, yeah, then she just, she figured out that if she made a clay mold of, of of a mouth and nose, and then she went through this elaborate process, you can watch it in the video. And um, she made a mask with a nose and mouth. And she then goes and registers that mask as an alternate appearance with that. It works. 
Huh. I did not read that. Uh, I will have to look but, for it. I mean, she does for, and like, just full, like, this woman's awesome. Uh, her name is Danielle Baskin. She's been doing, um, you know, I don't know if you've heard of this other thing called quarantine chat where you can call a random person and talk. She's, she's a product designer and sort of an artist in, in San Francisco. And so she, came up with this and she doesn't really plan to sell them right now. She also makes a really good point. She's like, if I can get mask materials, I'm going to make them for people that need it right now. Um, but yeah, this works. Uh, I have to admit, I, I, I really feel like this whole thing is, it's an exercise in empathy and examining your own biases. I've been aware ever since Face ID first became the replacement for Touch ID with the iPhone 10. Now, what two and a half years ago? Um, that I, I, I'm certainly aware enough that in a lot of Asian countries, face mask wearing in cold and flu season is common. It's um, common as an allergen type thing. It's considered polite. If you yourself feel like you have the cold, a cold or something, but you know, not, not sick enough that you want to stay home, that you wear a mask as a courtesy to others around you to, to lower the spreading. Um, I'm aware of that. And I certainly, you know, I heard right from the get go that, Hey, face ID doesn't really work, work when you're wearing a mask and, People over here wear masks all the time. And it wasn't that I dismissed it completely, but I dismissed it as a concern to some degree out of my own cultural bias, where I sort of, and this, I don't mean to sound dismissive, but, you know, I'd sort of written off the whole Asian face mask culture thing as a bit of low grade hypochondria, you know? Yeah. And, it's you know it it, it just self examining my own cultural bias. It's like hmm. It, I now that I really think about it, we're the ones who were wrong, <laughs> clearly, and for sure. And as this this particular COVID nineteen epidemic it, it engulfed the world, they must have been looking at how long it took us in it in the U.S. in North America and you know in other European countries to to start wearing masks as though we were insane because they could tell that, you know, that surely wearing a mask as you're out and about, however effective it is, it has to be at least more effective than not wearing a mask at all. Even if it's 1% improvement, it's, it has to be some level of an improvement. And we're, it's everything that, that I've read about it certainly suggests it's more effective than that. We must have looked crazy going until the end of March without doing it. And now all of a sudden you look at face ID and you think, hmm, this is a problem. Uh, and surely Apple must be considering this as well. And as well as I haven't actually tried it on my Pixel 4, but Pixel has a, the Pixel 4 yeah. has a, you know, all, all sorts of other Android phones have. I tried it on the Samsung. I don't have the Pixel with me and I did not want to make a trip to the office for it for this piece. So I had a Samsung here and I had the same problem. It, it also um, wouldn't register with the, with the mask on. Yeah. It doesn't work as a second, um, Second Appearance, phase, because yeah. it needs more of your face to get, you know, some, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it's doing for the ID. And I will admit too, it's not just uh, Asian culture versus American culture. I, I, I also got some very, uh, at least 
uh, it was a whole email thread, but from a daring fireball reader who's a surgeon here in America. This is in my piece. Yeah, go on. But yeah. Well, and and he wrote about it and he, you know, is an enthusiastic, you know, he's obviously he's a daring fireball reader. He's into it and wrote me this whole thing about all the effort he tried to get through to get his face ID powered you know, oh. enabled phone to work with a surgical mask and never really got a good, it was like, you know, ultimately came to the conclusion that there's no good way to get this to work. No, I had the same exact experience. So um, when I started doing some reporting on it, that's what I started realizing. And then I looked through my emails. I was like, oh, this guy's a doctor. Um, and in the piece, in the written piece, I mean, it kind of goes all over the place because there was a lot to cover. And it was only so many words I can convince my editors about face ID and face masks right now. Um, but They've been dealing with this in the medical medical community for years, and uh, one of the one of the doctors I interviewed said, you know, right now more than ever, it's actually a very big problem. And he walked me through why it was because if he's in the operating room and there's very and right now there's limited PPE, there's really limited supplies for them. If he's in the operating room and all and and this is something I realized too a couple of weeks ago. My mom was in the hospital. The entire, all of these hospitals run on phones at this point. It's, mm. It was nuts to me. It was completely surprising to me when I was uh, with my mom there a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he, he says, there's no pager system. There's no other way for another doctor in the hospital to get in touch with me. They have to text. They have, they use a, they, they, at this one, he was specifically he said we use iPhones. So if he's in the operating room or he's going, he's going in the cath lab or, or, or something, he has to, he can't pull down his mask mm. because right now that means he'd have to replace the mask or make himself susceptible to other things in the room. And so he doesn't want to pull down the mask and he will also have uh, gloves on and doesn't want to contaminate the gloves. So he often will ask the nurse or somebody else in the room, they will tell them his password. And then they have the password, he, they put it in, and then he says he often changes his password. Um I heard this from other people right now in the medical community, too, because, again, they don't want to be taking on and off the masks, and they don't want to be touching and contaminating more gloves and replacing the gloves. And and again, outside the professional sphere, there are more people now wearing gloves as part of their uh you know, personal protection going out. It's not, I, I don't think it's as effective. I And I actually think that because of, if you frequently wash your hands, you might be better off just using your bare hands and washing and using hand sanitizer very frequently. But if you want to wear gloves, you wear gloves. But if you're wearing gloves and a mask, you're, you're no good with any of these biometric authentication things. Yeah. Though in my piece, as you'll see, yeah. I did, the gloves work fine for putting your password in. If you have rubber gloves, it works completely fine on the touch screen. Right. But it wouldn't work for touch ID. You're, you're, you're no. down to using, no. you're down to using the, the passcode. You're back to the passcode. Right. And it's funny because for until I'm going to guess about six months ago, I just had a six digit numeric pin number from my phone. And at some point in one of these law enforcement hacking into iPhone, you know, like, oh, and then there's this Israeli company that makes a device, then they can, you know, go through. Remember that? And people were doing the math. Yeah. And and, and right. they can't go through as many numbers as you think because the um, the security chip in the iPhone that protects it only allows at a technical level – only allows like 12 attempts per second. Um, I think that's what it is. I, 12, 12, it would sounds like a lot, but when you really want to go through, a, a, you know, a, the, 
the total number of six-digit passcodes possible, 12 per second isn't that great. Um, but if you increase to an alphanumeric one, you don't <laughs> you don't need to have a crazy long password. Like the way that you, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the basic advice for how you're signing up for a new web experience and you want to create a strong password and it's, you know, 27 characters long, uppercase and lowercase and punctuation and numbers. You don't need that with a phone to be very, very secure. Like a six or seven character password that uses just, you know, it could just be like all lowercase and a punctuation character. Just that number of characters puts you into like 27 years on average to crack your phone. Or something like that, or even longer. So you so don't you need changed it. it. I changed it to a you know pretty simple, not too hard to type in passcode on my phone. Um, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to reveal too much. Tell me what it is. <laughs> Nobody will know. But it's not too hard. It doesn't involve shifting to the various keyboards on the phone very much. Uh, I you know, even, and, I and, and, I'm and looking to do that right now. Honestly, and, I'm looking at well, and ever since ever since I did it, I realized how few times I actually need to put the code in my phone. But now that when I do go out, wow. I'm wearing a mask, and you know, and and as this eases up, hopefully in the weeks to come, and I do go out more, but will be wearing a, a face mask. I guess I'm going to go back to a numeric passcode because I'm going to have to enter it because you can't, you know, just fundamental basic. All right. If you're going to get on the team face mask and wear a face mask when you go out, you can't just lower it every time you want to get on your phone. No, that's exactly what I wrote in the piece. I was like, that's a very bad idea. Because right. then you're just going to be touching your face, and that's like you wouldn't normally be touching your face that way anyway. So don't do that. Right, and so you know, just and and uh, to be clear, I, in the piece, uh, you should wear a mask. Like if you, if being wearing a mask right now is one of the nicest things you can do, as right. you were saying before, right? Like you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting other people, and so. and and you're removing the stigma. So the previous advice here in the U.S. was you should only wear a mask if you feel like you might have symptoms. Or if you know that you have the cold or flu, or if you know, you know, you think you have the COVID-19, but you have to go out anyway because, you know, whatever, you live alone and nobody else can help you get your prescription or your groceries or whatever. Wear a mask if you feel like you have anything. Well, that stigmatizes the people because then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, if the only people wearing masks are people who are sick, then everybody looks, and I, you know, I admit, I, I, I think I even mentioned this on my show, like, uh, like five weeks ago that I was out in the early days of this, you know, before we were quarantined, I was talking to Federico Vitici who lives in Italy and Italy was hit hard, you know, but before it really erupted there, it was just, you know, in the early stages of, Hey, Italy might have a problem. Um, I mentioned that I was out and I saw two people wearing masks here in Philly. And I thought it was like a little freaked out. Not like I I like walked to the other side of the street, but I just thought it was like one of the first things I'd noticed where I was like, Hey, things are starting to get weird. But then I thought to myself, Oh, are are they sick? Do they feel sick? It, it, it is a stigma. And if everybody, when you go out, you wear a mask, removes the stigma. Everybody feels comfortable around other people in masks. I mean, it's, it's going to take us collectively some getting used to, but I feel like it, it's happening quickly. Yeah. And it's funny. I mean, this is not technology related, but I, it, it is that stigma. And it's definitely this cultural shift. I feel it like when I go get 
this coffee every, uh, I don't do it every day, but every couple of days when I go get my coffee, I wear my mask now, my gloves. And that's when I sort of started noticing the face ID thing as well. And, you know, it's frustrating, but whatever. Um, you sort of feel like if you're wearing a mask, but somebody else is in, you, you can feel a little bit weird. Like, oh, I think you might be sick. And like, I need to protect myself from you. And that's sort of how I felt like when I've been around other people that are not wearing masks, like, oh, and then you like sort of even raise it or you're like, uh, do you, you're going to be offended that I put on my mask and you don't have one. But the more people that wear it, the less we'll feel that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we won't feel like, oh, you might be sick or I'm scared that you're sick. I mean, it's this whole new weird thing. In fact, like right before we had left the office, there was like people were you know, sort of starting to say, well, oh, well, he knows somebody who had it and maybe we shouldn't go near them. And, you know, it was this weird thing. Um, and it's socially, it can create this weird thing. Now we're like, oh, that person, you know, it's like cooties, like, oh, that person maybe don't go near them. Um, and with the mask, it feels like, okay, we have some semblance of like, I respect that I'm preventing you from getting sick from wearing this. I mean, to prevent is probably not the right word because they're, right. again, some of these are not uh, full on what are they, surgical masks, or right. they're not N95 masks, so um, they can't fully prevent. Um, but it, it it gives that, I don't know, like, that just camaraderie, I feel like. Yeah, um, you know, you a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of the other thing, and it all adds up. That's, you know, and, and like so many other things in life, that's, you know, it's a good strategy. And it's not like, oh, you're supposed to, uh, you know, have one single thing that is going to keep you from getting, you know, from spreading it. It's, you know, it's everything mm-hmm. taken together. Stay inside as much as you can. When you do go out, maintain distance, wear a mask, wash your hands all the time, use hand sanitizer in addition to washing your hands. Watch these videos and learn how poorly <laughs> you've been yep. washing your hands your entire life. <laughs> uh, you know, and it all adds up and none of it is a hundred percent. And if you're looking for a hundred percent, you're, you're, you're not, you're not paying attention to the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. Uh, the so, other, yeah. the other thing too is I, th- I think it's a good, it's a good point too, where, where regardless of how effective your mask itself is, whether, you know, and, and again, let's assume most of us don't have the N95 ones because the N95 ones are hopefully uh, they're all going to the medical professionals who desperately need them. Um, but regardless of the efficacy of the mask you have, whether it's homemade or if you've got some paper masks from a drugstore, um, it, it is. It is a uh, somebody who has gone out for like you know just constitutional walks while wearing one out. It is a constant reminder that you've got one on. It definitely makes me touch my face less because I realize, oh, I've got a mask. I'm not supposed to touch my face. You know, like don't don't do it. Um, it's hot. You know, yep. I mean, one of my things that I didn't summer's really... going to be <laughs> summer's going to be real fun. <laughs> I put <laughs> I put a tin of Altoids by our stash of paper masks because I realized after the first time I wore one, I was like, "Oh, you want you want to pop yep. a you want to pop a mint in before <laughs> before you this is, put your mask on." <laughs> I've had the same thing in this in the lead of my article. I'm like, "This we have to get used to like living in our bad breath. Like we just we just have to." <laughs> Maybe two. Take two mints, really. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's a solution. And there are obviously solutions around getting around the face ID thing. Yeah. 
I mean, as I said in the piece, it's like this is a very minor inconvenience, and uh, but I do think it's interesting. Well, I've so I've rethought this. So there have been rumors, and I know there are Android phones that that take a dual dual biometric strategy where they have a fingerprint sensor and some kind of face uh, facial recognition thing. Um, and I had until now been sort of on the side, you know, and there are rumors of Apple putting touch ID into the actual displays in addition to face ID, maybe. Um, and I had been thinking in terms of just simplicity, it makes sense for there to be one thing and that it made sense that Apple switched from touch ID to face ID with the iPhone 10 and the successing iPhone XS and iPhone XR and the iPhone 11 models since then. Um, because then there's only one thing to set up when you're, you know, all right, I have a new phone. What do I have to do? You log into your iCloud and you give it permission for this. And then you set up your face ID, or if it's, you know, a different, if it's a phone with the button and you do your touch ID and now you've got your touch ID and then you're using your phone. And it would be kind of, you know, it's an extra step if there were both uh, touch ID and face ID. Now you've got to do two things. And then which one do you use when you're like, oh, I want to I want to purchase the thing. Which one am I using? I don't know. You have to make a decision or something. Now that I'm going through this, I see it. Uh, I, my eyes are open to the fact that more methods of biometric authentication are better. It would be better. In- it would be better to have both. Although in this case, if you're wearing your gloves and your mask, right. you're, that neither will help. But yes, I, I agree. And, you know, obviously there's these rumors that they're going to come out with this new smaller iPhone and next, who knows now at this point, but soon. Um, and that, you know, has been apparently to, to, for the people who have not, who have been against face ID, who have, who've really still embraced the fingerprint sensor. Right. Well, and so there's clearly an audience that really does still want that. Right. Well, I, I mean, I heard, I, I always hear from them around iPhone review time yeah. last year. I heard from so many people. It was, uh, yes, the size was a thing, but so many people with the touch ID preferring that, feeling more secure, just don't want to look at the phone, don't, you know, many who don't also seem to understand the security of it. I definitely hear from yeah. a fair share of people who just don't seem to get it. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's this huge audience that still wants to use their fingerprint. All right, hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Let me thank our third and final sponsor, our very dear friends at Squarespace, longtime sponsors of the show. I'll bet if you're a regular listener of the show, you've heard me talk about Squarespace before, but let me tell you about them again. They have the all-in-one web publishing platform that they they have everything you need to get a website off the ground from domain name registration to a whole slew of professionally designed templates to start with that look great that scale great from phones to giant desktop browsers um, to analytics. So once your site is off and running, you can see where people are coming from and how many people are looking at what on your site. And if you want to have a blog or you want to publish a podcast, they have the CMS built in so you can put new posts or new uh, episodes, if it's a podcast, right there on your site, all through Squarespace itself. So if you have the idea, and right now, I'm not trying to tell you it's, you know, but look, we're all at home. I know a lot of people are sort of like doing uh, 
it's almost like New Year's in April, like where it's like, well, I've been meaning to do blank for a long time and you're doing things around the house. Like you've got like a table that's always had one leg too short and now you're putting, you know, fixing it so that the table doesn't wobble anymore. Well, if one of those things in the back of your head or on your to-do list has been to update an old website with something new or to build a brand new website for something, Squarespace is a fantastic way to start. It really is. Yes, they are sponsoring the show, and I'm telling you about them right now because they're a sponsor, but I really would if you came to me and said, hey, John, I need to get started with a new website. What should I do? I would tell you to try Squarespace. See how far you can go in a couple of hours. You get a free trial, and then after the free trial, they have great pricing, but they also have a great deal just for listeners of the show. Uh, you go to squarespace.com slash talk show. That way they know you came here from the show. And just the same code as the URL slug right there. Just remember that code, talk show. Know the, when you sign up to pay after your free trial's over, and uh, you save 10%. And you could save that 10% on a whole year at one time. So go to squarespace.com slash talk show. And remember that code, talk show, when you actually go to pay after your free trial's over. And uh, my thanks to them. So uh, face ID... Touch ID, people not trusting it. I definitely think, and and I know, I, I think just sort of, I don't know, I have no inside information. Nobody at Apple has told me like anything about like when anything might be coming, either officially from Apple PR or unofficially from friends who work there. I know nothing in terms of when this iPhone 9 or some people seem to think it's, you know, based on some clues of like screen protectors and stuff like that, 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 that prematurely hit the market, that it might just be called the iPhone SE again, not even the SE2. They're just going to reuse the name iPhone SE, but now it looks like an iPhone 8. I suspect, though, it's coming next week. Um, just there's a couple of rumor people who seem to think it's coming next week. I think it definitely was originally supposed to come in March, and it was delayed because the whole supply chain got disrupted by... <laughs> The global pandemic that started in China. Um, and I, you know, everybody remembers that when the first iPhone SE shipped a couple years ago, it was surprisingly popular, even to Apple, even to the point where Apple, like Tim Cook on the quarterly call, like three months after it came out, had to say, yes, we were surprised by the popularity of this product. And, you know, you had to admit it because if you went to apple.com at the time and tried to buy one, it was like, you know, six weeks shipping or three, three to four weeks or something like that. Whereas most Apple products, you buy it and ding dong, it shows up the next day. I have, I'm just searching my inbox because I, um, my, I have so many readers and I don't know if it's because they skew a little bit older. Yes. Many of my subscriber readers are older, um, so many readers following the reviews that I did in the fall of the new iPhones were asking for this phone. Yeah. Um, to the point where they were saying they were thinking about going to Android because they preferred they would. It, it was a combo of the two things: smaller and fingerprint sensor. And I haven't. I have to sift through a lot of these, but I mean, I'm. I just searched right now iPhone SE, and I get yes, yeah, sixty-five responses just on the first page. Um, well, 50 responses and another it says 65. I think I think this will be a it is it's like people know that that this phone is coming and they're waiting for it and they will buy it. I and I you know, I talk about my mom somewhat frequently. 
uh, on the show. Um, and I don't mention her in specifically as opposed to my dad. I know there's like a, like a, uh, trope that it's, you know, Oh, you're, you know, your grandmother or in my case, my mom who is a grandmother, then you bring it up because it's, you know, the, the, you know, you, you're bringing up a woman because you think they're the technically inept ones. My mom is far more technically adept than my dad. My dad doesn't even have an iPhone. Uh, he just, <laughs> when he, he texts and he has, he, he does use, uh, iMessage, but he uses it from their iMac. Um, but when my dad texts me from a phone, like when they're at a doctor or something like that, he, he just texts from my mom's phone and says, dad here. <laughs> But he's also he also just doesn't want to spend the money. He 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 doesn't even want to spend the money like when my mom gets a new iPhone, which she and she's waiting for this one. She wants the one with the button because she knows how button. to use it. And mm-hmm. um he won't even take her old iPhone, which still works. It just sort of is at the point where she's had it for enough years where it's sort of not a great battery life situation it's you know usable and she doesn't use it a lot but she wants to get a new one he won't even use her old one because he doesn't want to spend whatever it costs 15 20 whatever it would cost to add another phone to their phone line doesn't want to spend it um just won't do it but she she's more technically adept than my dad by far she's much more clever than she gives herself credit for but she just feels like she's mastered her iphone and doesn't want to learn something new she, yep. She just doesn't, and she has me, and I'm, I think, a good son, and I'll, you know, I'll, she can, she could get a Face ID based iPhone, and I would talk her through everything she needed to be talked through, and I know that she would get it very quickly. I think Apple did a great job by reinventing the fundamental interface where, okay, that button that you used for everything, it's gone. And now you just swipe up from the bottom and you can kind of do everything that you used to do with the button just by swiping up. She would get it. I know she would. She doesn't want to try and she doesn't believe it. I have the same with my parents, but mostly with these readers. I'm now now looking through it and um, I have this one reader. It's like he says, the home button is such a simple concept, but Apple doesn't seem to understand that. Mm -hmm. I am sure that there are no seniors on their design team. And then he signs it. I'm not going to give his name. Senior citizen blank. Yeah. His name. Um, another person, again, uh, uh, two reasons I'm waiting for this new phone. I refuse to give up my home button is number one. Two, facial recognition is not for me. But I get it. So I'm super excited just for this phone to help these people. Yeah. And I do think that that is, you know, and again, I don't know for a fact that Apple if there had been no global pandemic they would have that they would have announced it in march but i strongly suspect that they would have that it might have been some sort of media event of some kind where they would have done it alongside the ipads and the macbook air maybe or something i don't know but i believe it that they were delayed and i think that one of the reasons that they wanted to wait if assuming that's true that it was delayed is they're anticipating this being very popular and you know, if, so. and if it starts at three hundred ninety nine bucks, and it's got the modern A series chip from the iPhone 11s, and I think it's going to be very popular. And so I feel like they definitely didn't, even if they could have announced it in March and had it and said like, oh, but it, you know, it's going to, you know, it would be available in three or four weeks. They they want this thing to be ready because I think they're anticipating a large number of. Um, you know, I, I think just like the the original iPhone SE a couple years ago, I think it's going to be very popular. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, this is always when I when I review the new iPhones. There's always that crowd that's like, 
I'm not the early adopter. I do not want all of this new stuff. I want this. I, I, I love my iPhone. I like these things about it. I want it to stay the same. I want now a better camera like the rest of the world and it to be faster, but everything else the same. Yeah. And this is for them. And like it, that, I mean, it's an, un- I mean, I guess that's my review. It's an unusual, it's an unusual position for Apple to be in. Although maybe, you know, they kind of were in that position with iPods uh, 15 years yeah. ago, but not even the iPod was never anywhere near as popular as the iPhone. Like they're really in the iPhone is so popular that there's only a handful of technologies that have ever had that many users. You know, I mean, there's Microsoft Windows, uh, certainly Google, Google search, you know, there's a reason. Number one, it's just brilliant that you just, you type google.com. It's still one of the great technical marvels in the history of human civilization that the Google homepage, it's just this one box with a button and the extra goofy, I got lucky button. And you type a question in there and you hit return and you get answers. It's amazing. But there's a reason why Google, all the, everything that changed about Google as a company in 20 years, there's a reason Google.com is still just a text box with a white background and a button. Um, it, it works and people are familiar with it. And the basic, I'm not saying that Apple is going to have home button touch ID iPhones forever. Probably not. Apple will eventually, I think, move forward somehow. But, I feel like the insane popularity of the iPhone to the level of reaching normal people who once they're familiar with the thing, and rightly so. This isn't me complaining about non-nerds who won't just get with it and switch to a whole new paradigm for getting around their phone. I totally get it that a normal person who's become mastered their iPhone why in the world would they want something different? All they want is, hey, if I could just get one with better battery life and if the camera's better too, that's great, but don't change anything. Right. And it, it feels like, I mean, it will be interesting to see how Apple positions this, but it it feels like this is like the iPhone that Apple doesn't want to make, but they do it they're, or they're going to do it because they know people want it. it always, you know, and there, It always seems like Apple doesn't usually bend to those situations but maybe in this case they they do know there's such a user base and audience for it um and maybe they just i don't know i mean it also seems we don't know the size of the screen it seems like a lot of the reports point to it actually being 4.7 and not 4 like the current se yeah i i I think it's going to be exactly the same size as the iphone 8 4.7. 4.7. I think that if you, you know, show it side by side with an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 7, it you won't be able to tell it apart other than, you know, other than by turning it on and like going to the settings about to see what the hell it is. So then that's, that's going to leave us the question of why they have it. Well, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's I I think it's because it, they can sell it for 3.99 and because it, the familiarity it's going to be a, is going to be a selling point to a whole ton of people right you know but i just bought an iphone 8 uh for a video i did a couple of weeks ago for 500 bucks um and it's the same size if it's presumably going to be the same size as this then they cheap out on a couple of the different internals maybe on the camera yeah but otherwise it's the same yeah I it, or maybe it's a little bit smaller or maybe they've engineered it so there's less of a bezel and it's a smaller phone well and i think it also is a thing that like the previous iphone se it's not a product that's on an annual 
mm-hmm. schedule. It is something that they'll be, you know, they'll be selling. Let's just say they call it the iPhone SE again. That's the iPhone SE yeah. again. <laughs> that they might be selling the iPhone SE again for the next two and a half, three years. Who knows? You know, right? And then, but the, and then the eight goes away right. next year when the when the new phones come out, right? Or maybe it goes away when they uh, debut this thing next week or the week mm-hmm. after or whenever it's going to be. I I do have I do feel like they might alter the design here just to make it a little bit smaller. Um, I don't get, know to hit that note. I don't know. Uh, we'll I see. Mean, th- I don't think so, though. Yeah, I think that I think that the same way that so the original it, iPhone SE looked exactly like an iPhone 5S is what they're going to do with this. But and the design might just be yeah. a slightly different, and then it's got. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine what the specs are that are different from the the eight that's on shelves right now for 500 bucks or whatever. Well, it is. I think it'll have the A series chip, the A13 from I think from the iPhone 11, and that would give it years of legroom for software updates and stuff, and uh, some mm-hmm. some kind of better camera, and you know, better battery life through more efficient components, and that's it. You know, and there you go. So, right. so here's my question. My yeah. last thing I want to talk about before we sign off is is going back to your comment earlier, because that it, this is what reminded me of it is that a big part of this is that if I, and I'm pulling the 399 starting price, uh, that's just a guess. I don't know. Maybe it's going to start at 499. Maybe 399 is too optimistic, but it's certainly going to be a brand new iPhone that Apple's just released in 2020 with years ahead of it in software updates and and you know, speed that'll be more than usable for typical people for years to come um, at a much, at half the price of an iPhone 11, right? Or or at least half the price of an iPhone 11 Pro. Much yeah, lower price. And hopefully like $100 less than the right. current eight, which starts at, I'm just looking it up, is 450 Right. This is the big thing that sticks out to me about the MacBooks is the iPads too have this wide range of prices available. So the iPad Pros, yeah, start at a high price. But there's the iPad Air, which they brought the name back out, and it's a much lower price. And then they have the just plain iPad with no adjective, which starts at a really low price. Yeah, like three twenty nine. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and they have keyboard cases available that you can, you know open up and they work with Bluetooth keyboards. So there's third party stuff that you can buy if you want to use it. And, and they all get the trackpad support, right? That, which is really cool that this whole new trackpad support that everybody's so excited about and everybody wants to see these 300 to $350 magic trackpads that are coming out for the iPad pros. But there's a Logitech cover with a built-in trackpad that Apple collaborated with Logitech on that's a you know a lower price and it'll work with the lower price iPads. Um but the MacBooks still start at 999 and we can be happy that the MacBook Air with the Retina and the new keyboard and you know it's not like they're selling a 2-year-old MacBook Air for 999. It's brand new and it's really good. But 999 is actually a pretty high starting point if the MacBook is the platform you want to get in on. 
And it, you know, yeah. the iPhone has a lower starting point. The iPad has several options at lower starting point. And that to me, I don't know what Apple should do about it, but I kind of feel like that's one way where they're really steering people towards iPads, where it's like, okay, if your budget for a laptop ish type thing is five or six hundred dollars, you, you don't even, you can't even really consider a new MacBook. You're either looking at a used MacBook or a new iPad. On the, it feels like on the iPhone they're going to have the greatest price uh, scale. If you if if you think that iPhones, I mean, you have the Max that goes up to what? I mean, two thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I'm enjoying your son's meltdown. Yeah, is is that what's happening upstairs? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think if it might be singing. I think yeah, it I was going to say. Think, I can't really tell if he's. I can't if he's really happy or really upset. Oh no, he's screaming. He's he's upset. Oh okay. <laughs> I I wish I knew what he's. I mean, it's just so funny the things that he cries about these days too. Um, yeah, it's been the uh, yeah. We got to get your dog in here. What's your dog's name? Pixel? No. What? Browser. Browser. I knew it was something technical. Yeah, and he hasn't bothered me. He hasn't wanted to come in here, which means that my son's upstairs probably feeding him mm. whatever he's been eating for dinner or snacks. So that's why he's not in my office. How How is Browser doing with the with everybody staying? Do you think Browser notices or is Browser just like, hey, this is cool. Everybody's here. All my people are here. Um, Browser is, first of all, very dirty because we can't get him groomed. Right. So he's very long and shaggy, and I, um, you know, it's just not easy to groom a dog. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos, and I'm just like, I, we, me and my wife are like, we, I, we don't think we should do this. This does not seem like a good idea. Even though we've bought like a lot of the supplies, we're just like, he either is just going to end up like, you know, just having like a lopsided haircut, or like we just worry that we could hurt him. Right. Right. Um, so we're just hoping that. In a month, we can take him to a groomer. Um, <laughs> if anyone on the show is like a secret underground groomer in the New York, New Jersey area, please contact me. Um, <laughs> but really? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he's, he's um, I, I think he's annoyed. He's, he's truly annoyed, especially by my son who thinks that he's like his, sec- his brother and like they just, he just pulls his tail and tries to play games with him all day. And he's here all the time now. <laughs> Yeah, he's here all the time. He never goes outside. I mean, we go outside. We go for walks and stuff. But right. yeah, dogs are usually the opposite. Where dogs are like, "Oh my god, I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you're home. Where have you been? Where have you been? I'm so glad you're home." But I feel like at some level, dogs also they may not realize it, but they kind of like their alone time too. He, I think he was that way the first couple of weeks, like the first week and a half. He's like, "Oh my god, you know, you're in your office and my wife's upstairs. Like I can go back and forth, and you guys are right both here. This is amazing." And then I think he realized wait, they're like not leaving during the middle of the day. <laughs> and also we canceled our dog walker because we don't want anyone coming in the house. Right. So in the middle of the day, both of who's like, we're fighting over who gets, who has to walk the dog. And if he's lucky, he gets walked for 10 minutes, hmm. you know, cause we're like, we got to get back to work or something like that. Right. I mean, we've extended our walks in the morning and the evening, but, um, yeah, but yeah, you've got stuff to do. Tough times for dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has made a lot of appearances in my videos, uh, so that has made him happy, I think. You know, he's, he does get very excited when he sees that people like the videos. Well, that, that that's the last thing, very last thing I wanted to talk about is that the uh, you even mentioned it, that you've taken on and expanded. You've always had videos that accompany your columns, but now you've, you've taken on a role where you're in charge of this whole video team for the um, – at the journal – 
dot com, they still can't. I mean, I'm not anymore. Right. I, I did that for about a year, about two years, or a year and a half ago. Um, I didn't realize that. That so you're you're not leading the video team anymore. No, I'm not leading the video team anymore. But I do produce um, some videos on the side and work right. with some of the, the teams in our our department to work on some longer form pieces and. Um, I manage a small team of stuff that works on my stuff and and other things mostly related to technology. Uh, I did a, a sort of executive produced a big piece last year on Amazon. It was a three part series. We I uh, just finished working on a long uh, piece that uh, is uh, I, I'll publish it at some point. I don't know when, but uh, it's a, a thirty minute documentary that I worked on on my own. That. Um, well, it's it's a it's a deep subject about death and technology. Uh, I wanted to play around with something a little bit different than what I typically do. So I worked on that for the last couple of months, and now I'm starting to again get back into leading some other smaller projects on the video team at the journal. So, do you feel like as as you're writing your columns now during this as your home is is it harder to do the videos or easier or just different because uh, obviously production quality has to go down to some degree because you can't go to a studio you're you're at home is it it is maddeningly hard it is maddening and it is very hard and i have a great producer his name is Kenny Kenny Wasis he's a fan of your show so you might actually be listening hello kenny he he is so we can't shoot together and he's shot right. you know he shoots and produces and and edits all my stuff and uh we've been working together for the last i don't know maybe like 6 8 months now and we've done some really ambitious things over those times he did the bubble video we did the renaissance video for the for the uh iPhone review right. um I can't think of some other ones that we've done and so we've really upped production quality on those but at this point though I'm shooting with an iPhone. I had to like figure out, I mean, I've shot with iPhones before, but I've had to upgrade all my stuff to shoot with an iPhone, do audio here, do tracking. I mean, I have a whole, have that all set up at the office. Um, And so I've just been spent, I spent the first two weeks sort of troubleshooting the setup. Um, And now I'm kind of set up, but it's still hard. It's everything from, you know, shooting takes a number of hours, even if they're short scripts, to media management and then getting that all on my computer and then uploading it to him to edit, making sure audio is okay when there's a two and a half year old in the house. So I can only really shoot and and track my stuff in the evening. Um, That's why I also tried to push you off to doing the evening because he usually naps from like two to four. (laughs) So yeah, it's all been a you know I don't I don't want to come like I would keep saying saying I'm like I'm not going to complain. Um, I love my job. I get I have a job. I I I feel still like I've got some creative spirit though. I feel like it's kind of been dwindling over the last couple of weeks, and I just need a little bit of a break. And um, I really do hope at some point soon we can get back to some semblance of normal for a lot of reasons. But yeah, I don't want to complain, but it's definitely not been easy. Yeah, I I figured you would say that because it just is such an inherently collaborative medium. And I know that there's some people who do their YouTube channels all by themselves, and I, I don't know how they do it. But I know that a lot of the, especially the higher concept stuff that you've done, I mean, the Renaissance Fair one really comes to mind, but it's such a high concept. It's clearly just a, a large-scale collaboration. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, that even just like connection with, Kenny or my producer or Kenny, who is my producer, or other producers in the office. I mean, I, I, and also we have this constraint right now where I actually have a couple of big ideas I want to 
pitch and, you know, get the budgets for is a lot of the stuff that I've done. My independent stuff actually doesn't cost that much money to do, even though I think a lot of people think that it does. Uh, we are a very, very savvy team and we keep costs quite low, even on the things that you think would be very expensive. We keep the costs very low. But on some of the other stuff I've led, uh, this three-part Amazon series that I led, that was a considerable budget. This documentary I'd been working on is a considerable budget. You you want to have people in the room to sort of talk through how we're going to invest. What are we going to do? What's the timeline going to look like? That I just, I can't imagine leading from afar, Um, uh, especially on the shoot. We are sending shooters out in some regards. Some of our people have the right equipment and they can go out into the world and go shoot. But that's very limited right now. Most media organizations are are trying to limit that, right? They're trying to keep most of their reporters out of harm's way if they can. Right. Um, and especially like, you know, some of the topics that I'd want to go after doesn't, they intersect right now. Like there are some certain coronavirus stories that I'm very interested in the intersection with tech and coronavirus is obviously we've been talking about, but, um, yeah, I just think it's, it, it's definitely hard. It's been a very big adjustment. Yeah, I imagine so. Well, it was delightful to talk to you. Um, you too. I really did enjoy it. Are we going to start recording the podcast now? (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Ready to hit start. I'm ready to go. What do we? Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm totally good for another two hours. <laughs> yeah, your is your stomach though? No, my stomach isn't. But that means I don't have to deal with my screaming toddler upstairs. Right. So, yeah. All right, Joanna Stern. How's your son been doing? Oh, this, he's by great. The way? You know, he's 16. He's in 10th grade. School is canceled in Pennsylvania through the end of the. Well, not canceled. He has online schooling. Uh, and when did he get to be 16? I know it's crazy. The you know he. Can self-direct. If anything, it seems from the grades we get, he's actually doing better. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's, we were worried that he would blow it all off and think, ah, you know, roll his eyes. He's, you know, doing his work. It's, I think we're on week four since he's been at home. Part of that was the spring break. So it wasn't nonstop school. Um, but socially, the thing that's interesting, and I think that the girls, I'm sure, are having a harder time than the boys, but his friends, they socialize over the internet anyway. They don't like to get together, really. It just seems like Mm -hmm. that's a pain. And, you know, if you go out and get together, you've got to come home and you have curfew. And it's like, if you're just doing it all over Discord and playing games, you're both, A, playing your games and talking to your pals. And you, it's a lot easier to stay up really late doing it because you're not, haven't left the house, you know? Right. And so socially, in, in, him and his friends, I don't think they're doing anything differently than they would do if there was no quarantine. You know, they, they prefer to spend their spring breaks collaborate, you know, palling around over their computers and phones. It's very, very different. You know, nothing is more different about his life than my life at the same age as a teenager. I couldn't wait to right. get out of the house every chance I could get when I was 16. Yeah, maybe you also don't know the full story. You don't think he wants to, like, go out and party with his friends at least a little? Or, like, go, you know, he's 10th grade. Ah, uh, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, I I think he misses it a little. I think the fact that it's four weeks and it's, it hasn't seen anybody, it's, it's got to be weighing on him a little. But it's right. I don't think it's anywhere near as big a deal. You know, and just talking to the other parents, you know, that we know, the girls in his class you know, clearly get together physically, you know, in normal times, right? Physically and go shopping together and they go out to eat right. and, and sleepovers and, and stuff. sleepovers. And it's, it's, you know, it's, they're just, it's just the difference between 
girls and boys in some way. Um, you know, and I just don't think the girls, the girls don't want to spend 18 hours a day playing video games. They, they have wi- right. a wider range of interests. Uh, right. Ugh, I just can't believe he's 16. I feel like I, I mean, I probably did meet him when he was, yeah. was he probably eight or 10 or something. Maybe yeah. probably younger. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, but he's doing well, you know, and you know, all three of us are, you know, homebodies to some degree. So I think we're doing better than uh, a lot of people. You know, my dad, I think is, my dad's a real extrovert and really, you know, it's just everybody, you know, it's town where he lives. Everybody knows Bob Gruber. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of driving him nuts, not seeing everybody that he normally sees on his daily, just walk around and go get coffee and go here. And, you know, he has this whole routine in retired life where he like goes one place to get coffee and then goes somewhere else to buy a scratch off lottery ticket. <laughs> like, why don't and you play bingo? I mean, right. I was playing bingo. Right. But it's like, I'm like, oh, I say to him, like, why don't you just buy lottery tickets at, at Jake's where you buy the coffee? And he's like, oh, well, I, you know, and I, I realize he doesn't want to say it, but he just wants somewhere else to go, you know? And now he doesn't yeah, go anywhere. I'm that way. Yeah. I'm definitely that way. Yeah. I miss the, like I said, I miss the office so much. It, it's like sad. I'm like, am I just a sad person? How much I love the office? I, I just, I, I love my office. And so I love the people I work with. And yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, Joanna. Thanks. Great to talk to you.